Ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal. Hello out there, my friends. This is Tim Banal of BanalofAmerica.com. With the return of BOA Audio Season 3, it is February 2nd, 2008. Happy Groundhog Day, folks. We're back from hiatus. I'm feeling refreshed. I'm really happy to be back and excited about bringing you all new episodes of BOA Audio Season 3. We've got a ton of great stuff coming up in the pipeline, but we're going to save all of the superfluous talk about BOA and BOA Audio for the close of the program, because I know you're ready to dig in to some fresh BOA Audio goodness. We kick things off here this week with our guest, longtime BOA Audio friend, Greg Bishop of Project Beta and UFOMystic.com fame. As I note here in the beginning of the interview, Greg has his finger on the pulse of the UFO field, so I couldn't think of anyone better to bring on the program to close the book on 2007 and dissect the past year in ufology. We're going to cover all the big stories from 07, including the O'Hare case, the Symington story, the French UFO files release, the Roswell 60th anniversary, the drone photo craze of the summertime, the Cassinich UFO flap, and the disclosure push of November. We're going to get Greg's take on all of these events and discuss what they mean from a big picture perspective for the field of ufology. Plus, we're going to discuss esoteric trends of 2007, what was hot, what was not, where are things going in 08. We're going to talk about Greg's piece on Long John Neville from UFO Mystic, his appreciation for the contactee movement, and of course, tons and tons more. The interview clocks in at two hours, and it is a very fast, fun, and loose edition of the program, and the perfect vehicle to kick off the 2008 portion of BOA Audio Season 3. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Greg Bishop, let me give you a little bit of background on him. Greg Bishop became interested in UFOs at a very early age. He has no idea why. In 1991, he co-founded a magazine entitled The Excluded Middle, for the purpose of educating himself first, and secondly, passing on the info to interested readers. TEM was a journal of UFOs, conspiracy research, psychedelia, and new science. It can be found online at www.excludedmiddle.com. The book, Wake Up Down There, was a collection of articles from the magazine published in the year 2000. Greg's writing has appeared in the LA Weekly, Fortean Times, UFO Magazine, and Magical Blend, among others, and in the book-length anthologies, Conspiracy in Cyberculture, Zen and the Art of Close Encounters, Kooks, and You Are Being Lied To. In 2005, his book, Project Beta, was an attempt to set the record straight on the Paul Benowitz disinformation saga. His third and newest title, Weird California, was published in March of 2006. His internet show, Radio Mysterioso, can be heard on Sundays from 8 to 10 Pacific Time at www.killradio.org. When not writing, Greg can be found in the southwestern deserts of the U.S., or flying his paraglider above vertiginous cliffs and mountains, sometimes with a propeller strapped to his back. Successful bribes include New Mexican Cuisine, recordings of outsider music, rare contact ebooks, tickets to baseball games, and selected original artwork. His websites are www.ufomystic.com and www.excludedmiddle.com. Definitely want to check those out. They are top-notch websites. I know you want to get right into the action here, so without any further ado, let's rock and roll. This interview was recorded on January 16, 2008. Greg Bishop, talking about 2007, the year in ufology. 
on VOA Audio Season 3. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special edition of Been All of America Audio. We're back from our hiatus, and I wanted to kick off the second half of the season here with a longtime friend of the show, one of the very first guests we had on the program, Greg Bishop, author of Project Beta, and one of the great minds behind UFOMystic.com. He's also got a website, ExcludedMiddle.com. He hosts the podcast show, Radio Mysterioso. He had me on as a guest uh, last spring. He's the man. Uh, he's also not only on the first season of Banal America Audio, he was on the baseball special last year. So, like I said, he's a longtime friend of the show. Uh, Greg, welcome back to the program. Hey, thanks for having me back, Tim. Oh, it's my pleasure. I've been looking forward to having you on the show for a while, and I knew you were the perfect guest to kick off the second half of season three. Uh, what I wanted to do with you here on the show was, since you run, well, you don't run it, but since you write for UFO Mystic, you've got your finger on the pulse of the UFO field, uh, definitely had your finger on the pulse of the field over the past year. And I kind of wanted to look back at 2007 at some of the big events and get your thoughts on them and kind of share my thoughts on them and, and really sort of uh, look back on these events and give some big picture analysis to what went down in 2007 as far as the UFO phenomenon goes, especially, like I said, in a big picture sort of way, in a public relations kind of way, you know, how did these stories affect the people that aren't like you and me who follow the UFO field but are kind of on the mainstream? And a lot of big stories sort of broke into the mainstream this past year in ufology. So we're going to sort of dig into that kind of thing. And as I said, since you have your finger on the pulse of uh, the UFO field, being one of the great guys at UFO Mystic, I think you're the perfect guy to do that. Is that cool? Sure, fine. Let's do it. And I'm sure a lot of people are are saying, you know, come on, man, this is it's February 2nd when this episode is going to air, and they're like, oh, it's already a month into 2008. What are we looking back at 2007 for? But, you know, for starters, a lot of people probably, you know, just sort of, sort of throw together stuff at the end of the year and don't really take the time to think about it. And I haven't really seen a lot of uh, big-picture looks at what went on in ufology, so at least we're, uh, we're, we're digging into something here that I don't think has been done yet. I haven't seen it anywhere. Exactly. So, you know, uh, now we can look at this stuff, and, and in a couple of years' time, we can look back and pick up the episode and be like, all right, well, what did happen in ufology in 2007? I guess we should start out with the first big event of 2007, actually almost practically on the very first day of 2007, and that was uh, the O'Hare story breaking into the mainstream. Of course, uh, there was a UFO sighting at O'Hare Airport in Chicago. It actually happened in early November, but managed to somehow break into the mainstream news uh, the very first couple days of the year. Talk a little bit about that story uh, and your thoughts on how it kind of exploded like a month after it happened in the first place. Well, as I remember it, there was a sighting at O'Hare by a couple pilots and a few people working on the ground in, um, what was it, September or November of 2006? I think it was November. Yeah, and then the, the story for some reason didn't break until, like you said, the first of the year. And um, it just uh, it, it it took on a life of its own, and it it uh, dominated the news for at least a few days. Um, and then somebody came out with a picture of it. I think like a month later, the sighting. What it was was uh, this big. Uh, I guess it was a disc type thing that was up in the clouds, just kind of floating there. It didn't move very much till suddenly they said it rose up really fast and, like, punched a hole in the clouds, which I've never seen anything do, and it sounded very strange. Um, uh, the funny thing was the uh, the news reports that I saw, the um, kind of the replays on the, on the YouTube and Google video and all that, 
they didn't really make too much fun of it. I didn't I didn't get the sense of that the giggle factor at the end, which I thought was good. Um, and that story had you know kind of a staying power. Then a few months later, the um, oh, what's that group that Bernard Hayes has? They put together a report about it. The report said it was very strange. We can't prove exactly what it was. There were some trained observers there, and it was a real event. But we don't know what it was because we don't have enough data. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like unfortunately a typical UFO sighting. Yeah. But the value, like I said, was that I didn't see as way less of the giggle factor than there used to be. Definitely, definitely. I thought that was uh, one of the big aspects of the O'Hare story was that not only did it break into the mainstream, but it also was treated with a pretty good amount of seriousness. And I think it may have been one of the first UFO cases in the contemporary times, I'd say, you know, since the 90s or whatever, or at least since Phoenix Lights. Um, where the whole right. issue of, like, national security kind of came up. Like, a lot of people in the UFO field have been saying for a while, you know, why aren't they addressing the issue of national security with UFOs? And that sort of became, finally the media did kind of take a look at the national security aspect of it. Yeah, well, the Haitian people like that said, well, this should be a matter of not, at least not national security, but uh, air transport security, because if things are flying around up there, that especially over a busy airport, um, we ought to know what they are because they're going to affect traffic and um, flight patterns and all that, and it could cause a problem. And I don't think UFOs have ever caused planes to run into each other. I'm, I, I'm really not sure about that. Um, I can't think of any cases where that's happened. I can think of cases where planes supposedly ran into them, but not having planes run into each other. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, they were saying, and since he's got a bunch of people on his uh, on that study and on his board that are pilots and air traffic people and former government officials, I think um, they took it seriously. They thought it should be, a, you know, they should take a, a, a serious look at it and report their findings, and they did. But like I said, unfortunately, they didn't. <laughs> they didn't come up with anything. They just said th this appeared to be a real event, but. We don't know what it was. And what would you say, like, the tenor was in the UFO community surrounding the O'Hare case? Because I, I sort of was watching the debate from afar, and there was definitely a debate about it. Um, what, what would you say, like, the what was the point of view, I guess you could say, of the people in the UFO world? I didn't see that much debate. I kind of looked on the updates list for a while when, it, when the story first broke. And uh, some people, you know, had this kind of cautious attitude. I, I can't remember or name names. But a lot of a lot of people, which unfortunately I, I saw this, thought it was like the second coming, you know. Oh, this is going to be the one. Yeah. This is going to break it open. Now everybody's going to know that it's real important. And, of course, it really didn't do that. All it did was show that um, there's a tiny little bit of the cover, of that, that laughter curtain that's being peeled away, just a little bit, which is good. You know, you people got to be patient. Exactly, yeah. It, that was uh, probably the, the good aspect of it. And I thought also that uh, – it did sort of bring ufology a little bit back into the news in a sense because there hadn't been a big major U.S. case uh, this within this decade, if you will, you know, from oh, oh, from 2000 to uh, 08 or whatever. Do you know what I mean? No, there hasn't. You, you know, um, I talked to people after – you know, there was a uh, um, UFO conference scheduled for September 11th no, – no, September 13th of 2001. Yeah. That my friend Miles was doing. Mm -hmm. It didn't happen. <laughs> but I noticed after that, nobody really cared about UFOs for about two or three years. 
Exactly, yeah. And I think that's because it's a it's kind of a it's a pastime of people who have time to do time and psychic space to worry about other things. And at that point, most people didn't. Even the sightings went down, or maybe people reporting them went down. I don't know, but the sightings went away too. There weren't as many sightings. There weren't as many abduction reports. You know why is that? Everybody was thinking about something else. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, maybe the phenomenon was still there, but it's just, you know, it's it's like when somebody runs into a, a, a classroom with a banana and starts stabbing somebody, and everybody thinks it was a knife. It's because that's what they expect. <laughs> yeah. You know, they they ask later, and eighty percent of the class thinks it was actually a big shiny knife, and a couple of people say, "No, it was a banana." Um, I think that people's mindset determines really importantly what they see, what they feel how they interpret things. So, you know, as things kind of go back to baseline, you know, the UFO stories start coming out again. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like maybe the O'Hare story, you know, brought the UFO subject back into the mainstream a little bit and then sort of kind of set the trend for the rest of the year as far as stories on the UFO subject getting more mainstream news. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like uh, little UFO stories all of a sudden would kind of get a little more press coverage than I would have expected. Maybe the popularity of the O'Hare story had something to do with that. It helped open the door back up, yeah, certainly. Now, do you think this this case has any sort of, like, long-term cachet? I know you probably don't, like, I, mean, I know you probably haven't poured over the details of the O'Hare case uh, too much, but do you think it'll be something that we'll hear about as time goes on, or do you think it's just going to be sort of an isolated thing that'll be looked back on and there won't be much to it? You know, if it wasn't for that report, I don't think um, this, the, the book would be closed because a lot of UFO people read that report. Yeah. And... Oh, wait, here we go. Here's the conclusion. This investigation has determined that, based on the testimony of multiple eyewitnesses in different locations at O'Hare International Airport, a small physical and apparently solid object hovered over the United Airlines concourse area for at least 10 minutes or more, but was not detected either by radar or visually by air traffic controllers in the tower. For this reason, the object is considered a definite potential threat to flight operations at O'Hare. That was their conclusion. Something was there. And the thing was that it was, it, the report was, what, like 200 pages or something? Oh, wow. It was a fat report, man. There was, you know, there were uh, re weather reports going out, you know, uh, 10 miles from the airport and, um, you know, humidity readings and cloud ceiling readings and all kinds. Of, it was exhaustively detailed. I mean, more than a UFO organization has ever put into a uh, report on anything. Yeah. So, you know, there's not much more that uh, people in ufology can say except for that serious people looked at this problem seriously and figured out there, there was something real there. So, you know, what else can they say? How can it – it can't, you know, keep going. There's no more questions about it really. Yeah. That anybody else has come up with. I mean, since uh, Hayes and all his um, – his buddies there put out that report, which, like I said, was exceedingly thorough. It's the best best UFO report I've ever read. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's quite an endorsement. From the from the bits of it that I have read, well, I like him. He's 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 actually a very he he actually pisses off some UFO people because he's he's um, he they consider him a skeptic, and I consider him somebody that's very interested that's trying to do something that that can break through this um, laughter curtain or 
where, you know, most serious people don't think it's a serious subject, and he's taking it seriously, like Jacques Vallée said back in the 60s. we got to take this seriously because there's a lot of people having these experiences, and you can't just laugh at them. Exactly, yeah. You know, science looks bad if we don't take this subject seriously. Sometimes you're on the right track if you're pissing off the UFO community, sometimes. you got to piss off both sides every once yeah. in a while, and that, that, that way I know you're doing really well. <laughs> I guess there's really not much more to say about the O'Hare case, because uh, that's sort of, like I said, sort of set the tenor for the rest of the year. And uh, the next big sort of breakout story for ufology was the Symington story, uh, where the Phoenix Lights case kind of reinvented itself all of a sudden. Uh, it was the 10-year anniversary of the Phoenix Lights, and all of a sudden... Uh, former Arizona Governor Symington came out and said he did see a UFO and became a fixture on the uh, UFO circuit all of a sudden. And like I said, the, the Phoenix Lights story kind of reinvented itself. I guess talk a little bit about, about that whole situation. I thought that Symington was kind of um, disingenuous. Every, a lot of people thought this by making fun of it at first and then saying, no, I actually really saw it 10 years after the fact and after he's out of politics. But um, I don't know. I mean, the guy... The guy said that he, he – remember he had that news conference and he brought out the, one of his assistants dressed in an alien costume yeah. to make fun of it. Mm -hmm. And people asked him, you know, the UFO people anyway or the disclosure people said, why did you do that? A lot of people asked him that. And he said, well, I, I thought the um, security of the state was at stake. And if we'd taken it seriously, it would have caused a panic, which is a real <laughs> – it's a real weaselly answer. Um if he had taken it seriously, people would have looked at it seriously. What are they going to get? What are they going to get scared about? And I think maybe some other stuff was going on, like um, somebody in the Air Force or the the um, uh, Marines or whatever the base. Is. Oh, there's a base there uh, near 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 uh, Phoenix, just north of Phoenix. Um, they they might have told them just to shut up about it and don't worry. And that that might be part of the story isn't coming out. And the other thing was, I guess he had kind of a checkered past, and um, after after he got out of office, he was being investigated for something or other and had to go to trial. So his political career was basically over anyway, so he had really had nothing to lose, which is why he just came out and said, yeah, well, I, I seen him too. Yeah. And I don't know if he did it because he wanted to be involved in something again or what, because he was on the Larry King special after that and moderated a panel about the, about the subject and... Yeah, he's like I said, he's really become a fixture now in the UFO scene in some respects. A lot of the exopolitics people uh, kind of have hitched their wagon to the story in a lot of ways. What would you say the attitude within ufology was at the time? Now, I remember my personal perspective was I was kind of pissed off about the whole thing because I thought it was kind of like what you said, Weasley, that he did the press conference and had the alien guy, and now he wants to kind of switch sides here. I was a little chagrined about the whole thing. What would you say the attitude in ufology was? Uh, like you said, the O'Hare thing was treated as the second coming. Was this kind of had the same attitude, or, or were people more mad about the, the press conference thing still, or what was the attitude, you think? I think it was just kind of a, you know, people really didn't care. Because it was, you know, it was, it was kind of an attitude of too little, too late, you know? Yeah. And um, I think that was a general, at least among most people that are serious about it, then follow it on a uh, you know kind of a daily basis that too little too late not really anything to worry about if the exopolitics people want to put him up on a stick and run around with him that's fine yeah now do you think that uh him coming out and saying that he saw the ufo but you know did the press conference to chill everybody out if you will do you think that kind of gives credence in some ways to elements uh and theories of like government cover-up type of thing well yeah like i said may maybe I'm saying maybe there's no yeah 
there's no proof of this, but maybe he was told to, to, to downplay it, and that's, that's what he came up with, have somebody come out in a silly alien suit. I don't know. Yeah, and the unfortunate part is, has anyone, I don't know, he, he hasn't really sort of addressed that as all that I know of, or has anyone even asked him if he was, like, coerced into that kind of situation? I don't know if anybody's asked him that. And you know what he'd say is, no, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, because if he was, that would be one of the first things he'd say. Well, no, I mean, if, if he was told not to, I think he would just say forever he's going to say no. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, if he was going to say something, he already would have. Do you know what I mean? Like, we already would have. Oh, yeah, out. he may have. I don't know. Were you intrigued or interested, or did you find it interesting that the Phoenix Lights case, on a lot of these things, they kind of just rehashed the story on the anniversary, but like I said, this one kind of became reinvented. It had a whole new element added to it. I don't recall too many stories... Usually they remain pretty static once the events happen, but this one kind of had an, an extra new layer added to it. Do you find any of that interesting? You mean the layer that he, he suddenly said, yeah, I saw them? Yeah, and... all of a sudden, 10 years later, now he's coming out, and it's like, whoa, wait a minute, there's more to this than we thought kind of thing? Well, it, to me, it's kind of like people in the military seeing something, being told to shut up about it, and then, you know, 30 years later or so, they, they you know, they, they go sit in a, in a room with Stephen Greer or somebody with a, on camera and say, yeah, I did see stuff. Yeah, I didn't know what it was. Yes, I was told to shut up about it. Yeah. It's the same kind of thing, but the, the, the guy's a politician and he's a squirrely, you know, <laughs> a, more squirrely seemingly than, than other politicians that manage to cover their tracks better, so it has a little less credence, at least to me. And I think that the UFO you know, rank and file are, uh, have pretty much the same attitude. It's not, you know, it's, 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 it's not something new. It's, it's more like, you know, let's concentrate on what happened back then and, and, um, see if we can find out more about it there because Symington isn't going to tell us anymore. What's he going to say? I saw something. He's not in government anymore. He's not really respected as a, an administrator really anymore due to his background. So, you know, why, why go back and revisit it with him? We kind of saw more ufology in politics later on in the year. I would have said, uh, you know, midway through the year that maybe that would have opened the door to more politicians kind of like talking about the UFO thing. But then we saw kind of later in the year that uh, that when that happened, it wasn't such a good thing for them. So probably uh, it kind of the trend may have started and then ended in, all within the same year. Yeah, maybe so. But like I said, because of the um, uh, mainly because of the O'Hare thing, I think there's you know, like point point five percent less laughter applied to uh, UFO stories than there used to be. Yeah. Especially if it's something, you know, right in the middle of it. You know, if, if it happened out in the middle of nowhere at a suburban airport somewhere, nobody would have cared. But it happened in the middle of one of the largest cities in the United States with a bunch of trained observers on the ground, multiple witnesses. So it was, it was something that had to be taken a little, little more seriously or, or could be taken more seriously from the point of view of um, – news reading, news watching public. Yeah. All right. Well, then uh, the next sort of like dual event, I guess you could say, and it's sort of like a May-December romance in a way, because one happened in May and one happened in December, was, <laughs> was uh, the French UFO document release, the tepid news, I guess you could say, uh, for a little while in, in the springtime, and then the Japanese UFO disclosure, in quotes, uh, flap that kind of happened in December. Um, and I guess you could branched them all under the umbrella, and I, I also, the UK released some UFO files that may have happened in early 08, but I'm not sure. But anyway, you can sort of branch those all under the umbrella of uh, like an international 
disclosure movement, if you will. What do you think about that whole thing? Uh, we've seen this kind of developing over the course of the last couple of years, a little more drip, drip, drip from international sources as far as uh, disclosure goes. Obviously, the Japanese thing was more of a was more of a blow off, but at the same time, it was uh, an international UFO story, if you will. So, what, what do you think about that release of UFO information that's starting to trickle out a little bit? Well, I think it's nice that the more files are being released, but I think in every case, with the with the British and the French and the well, I don't think the Americans are releasing any more UFO files than they have. Look, my general feeling about release of UFO information is anything that's released is not really going to tell us any more than we already know, except that governments know a lot more about UFO facts than we do, but they don't know about where they come from, what causes them, if they're unidentified. And uh, I, don't, I think the documents are going to bear that out. It's just going to say there was something very weird and we took it seriously. Um, but a lot of people know that already, that uh, if there's a uh, something that the, a, a, the authorities don't know about, they want to find out as much about it as they can. Yeah. And because of the nature of UFO stuff, it's hard to, you know, nobody really knows what the purpose, origin, or whatever of, of uh, these objects or whatever causes these sightings are. So it's going to be a lot more data of, you know, we saw this, we took these measurements, we talked to these people, you know. Yeah. What's, what's good about it is um, since it's from uh, sources where people were real careful about the way they gathered information, the database might be skewed in a way that is helpful. I think that's the, the good thing about releasing more of this information, whether it be from France or Britain or the United States or, well, even Japan, I, I guess. That was just a statement, not a release of information. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, more data points, enter those into the database, see if patterns emerge. Um, that That's the good part of it. Now, whether it's going to say, well, we know there's aliens coming from other planets, I don't think that's going to happen in, 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 uh, from any of those countries. Yeah, yeah. It's more just like, you know, whether it's a French sighting or, or an English sighting, it's just a sighting. And, and like I had uh, Michael Sala on the show, and he kind of made the point that, you know, um, we have enough sighting reports, kind of we need more of an analysis point of view, and maybe if they had released more of an analysis type of thing, it would help more than just a sighting report. Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's, a, um, that's, a, that's a sober analysis to me of, of this uh, release of information. It, it's, it, it can only help. I don't think it's going to – none of it's going to be any big revelation, but it, it'll be a, you know, another little brick in that uh, – either taken out of or put into the, whatever you want to call it, into that wall of understanding and possibly getting to the bottom of whatever this is, which I think it's, I think it's, you know, in, in the large picture, I don't know if we've got, most of us has gotten to the point where we could understand what these things are on, on their own terms, because coming from a place that I don't think we have a philosophical and physical and, uh, What's the word? Well, philosophical and, and uh, physical viewpoint that we can get our minds around it yet. Yeah. But, but, you know, more data points helps move in that direction. I think we're going to have to start thinking about the world and the universe and reality and time and causality in a different way to be able to get a handle on what UFOs and other paranormal phenomena are. Yeah, and mainstream people just aren't ready for that. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's the, you know there's the idea that the and uh, an old guard, an old um, 
the the old uh, uh, regime has to die out basically for new ideas to emerge because there aren't any people fighting against it at that point, trying to hold down their version of reality that they grew up with. Yeah, and so maybe someday when the idea that UFOs are real is just sort of a given fact, you know, then maybe it'll be more people will be ready to, to sort of wrap their minds around it. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the way to describe it, yeah. It's, 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 it's one of those things where I don't think anybody has the words to describe what they are, but... The, the the way our minds change, the way we look at things, and the way we look at things as a society, and the way that science looks at things will change. And it's probably not going to happen till you know, who knows, till you know, 20, 30 years after we're gone. I don't know. Well, hopefully, you and I'll still be around in 20 years. Um, we, yeah, that's why I, <clears throat> that's why I put us our names at the end. Right. <laughs> we could live a hundred more years. I don't know what kind of gerontology drugs they have coming out. I keep hoping. I can kind of uh, foresee your answer, I guess you could say, but do you think any other country will ever, like, sort of come out with uh, any sort of definitive UFO statement, sort of like what we thought we were getting from Japan, but it turned out it was more of a joke. Um, <laughs> but do you think anyone else will come out with anything like that, or do you think that, um, that you know, there's kind of like a set mindset within world governments that, you know, it's best not even to deal with that right now? I, I think the way that uh, power is structured right now all over the world where there's people at the top telling people at the bottom what to do uh, makes it very unlikely that somebody's going to come out and, and as a head of a government and say, this is what it is, this is as much we know, and we don't know much more than you do. You know, I, I, I think that's what it's going to be. I mean, people have, people have said, oh, you know, the U.S. government, other governments know that there's aliens coming from other planets. I, I do not know that. I think that they think there might be. But they're not going to admit that. Why, why admit that? Because that, that works into the power base. That works into we're in charge and you're not. Yeah. To admit that means, you know, oh, well, there's something I don't know about and I, can't, I don't know much about and I can't do anything about it. Sorry. All right. That's pretty much all I really have on the international disclosure front. So we'll move to the next big, uh, big event of, of 2007 and, and one that you were pretty well entangled with, and that's the Roswell 60th anniversary it was uh, sort of the year of anniversaries all around in Esoterica. Phoenix Lights, Roswell, Kenneth Arnold, Shag Harbor, Mothman, I'm sure. There's many other ones, too. But, of course... Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate. There you go, yeah. So there was a lot of anniversaries, it seems, here uh, in 2007. And, of course, the big daddy is Roswell. Uh, you said you went down there. So I guess just talk a little bit about the uh, the vibe of the, of the big 60th anniversary for Roswell. Personally, I felt like there wasn't as much buzz as there has been in the past, and I thought there would be a little more, but it didn't feel like it. But you'd probably know because you were on the ground in Roswell. Yeah, um, well, the buzz is different because it wasn't like the 50th anniversary, you know. Um, and they've been doing it every year since then, so they kind of wanted to make a big deal out of it and have people come out. Um, they had two different uh, uh, speaking uh, uh, schedules going, One, one that the city put on, by itself and one that the um, UFO museum put on by itself and none of the speakers were shared so like dueling conferences yeah it kind of was weird the, the the funny thing was I mean that the, I didn't hear anybody at the museum not that I talked to a lot of people there I talked to a lot of the speakers there and I didn't hear anybody at the uh, uh, the city's um, uh, facility in in the conference center, really bad mouthing the other. I mean, it wasn't wasn't there wasn't there didn't seem to be any competition on a democratic level. Maybe at the you know at the upper level, obviously because they had their own two conferences. 
but um, both the museum and the uh, and the and the city put on you know uh, a good amount of speakers. Um, it, it's funny though the the museums seem to concentrate on like the superstars of of ufology. You know they had Stan Friedman and they had uh, God who else did they have? Jesse Marcel. Yeah, they had Jesse Marcel Jr. there. I talked to him. He's a nice guy. <laughs> Paul Davids was there um, selling copies of Roswell and talking about talking more about uh, the production and, and his experience and uh, since making the film. Because I asked him once, I said, well, you know, what got you interested? And, and Paul said, well, I had my own sighting, and he described it to him. It was right over his house here in L.A. about uh, 15 or 20 years ago. Oh, weird. It was kind of a spectacular sighting. It was like this, this I think it was a... Um, this kind of oblong, silvery-shaped thing that was floating right over his house. And he went chasing it in his car and um, couldn't find it. Oh, wow. And over at the uh, conference center, the, the uh, Roswell Museum had uh, had Nick, had me. Um, God, I'm trying to think who was there. Oh, wait, I have a schedule here right in front of me. How convenient. Nice. Go right, Lee. He must have been there, right? Yes, yes, he he gave a presentation about um, were the early contactees ritual ma magicians, which was great. I love that one. Sounds and it was one, you know what I liked it because it was <clears throat> one of those things where you said, "Damn it, I wish I'd have done that one." Yeah, it sounds weird. It sounds good. That's very go rightly. Yes, it is. He might have been asked back. I'm going back next year, this year. Nice. If they have it, they kind of said, "Would you be willing to speak again?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, of course." <laughs> and um Do you need a drink or anything? Um maybe I should get a drink of something, yeah. Yeah, you sound like you're dying over there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Peter Robbins um spoke at the uh one in uh at the uh city conference. It's funny, you know, Peter Robbins people think of him as the the guy that uh the guy with the who wrote the book on um the uh, Rendlesham case. Yeah. But his uh, interests range far. He's, he's, I think he's doing lectures now on um, Wilhelm Reich. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I saw that. And uh, he's done a lot of work on uh, James Borstall case, and he's done some stuff mm -hmm. in, in UFOs and the media, too, that's been pretty interesting. So he gets pigeonholed, but he's actually quite, quite diverse. He's huge in Japan, you know. <laughs> for real, for real. He's been over to Japan a number of times. Oh, yeah, Richard Dolan was also at the uh, city conference. And what would you say, like, the buzz was on the ground uh, there? Sort of more just like a party element, everybody from the UFO field kind of hanging out because it was the big party uh, birthday for Roswell where people, you know, was it kind of like been there, done that because it's just been done so often, the Roswell scene, if you will? Yeah, it was pretty much, it seemed like a business as usual and a homecoming and a let's hang out and talk. And it was, it was, um, the funny, you know what I noticed that I, I wrote about when I, I, I wrote actually a couple dispatches from there and put them on UFO Mystic, mm -hmm. um, that people didn't seem to be really care about differences of opinion, which I thought was nice. I didn't see all these, because you know, at the 2000, I mean, at the uh, 97 one, <clears throat> all I remember are these, <clears throat> sorry, contentious debates Yeah. about, you know, was this person here at this time, or was it a weather balloon, or was, it wasn't? I mean, I saw the I saw the lecture, not lecture, but the debate between uh, Kevin Randall and Carl Flock, and um, uh, there were raised voices in that. But um, this one, it seems like, well, you know what? They didn't really have any skeptics there, and I would consider Carl Flock a skeptic. 
um, it seemed like everybody was, you know, getting along great, no matter, you know, no matter what their real viewpoint. There wasn't that in, in inter inter uh, ufological squabbling that I usually notice at the edges of, uh, or sometimes in the middle of a UFO conference, which was nice. Oh, another person there was Ferry Adozu, who uh, has been getting a lot of speaking dates in the last couple of years, which is good. Yeah, she's great. She was she was on but All of America last season, so uh, she's a. She's, yeah, she was on my show last year, too. <laughs> nice, nice. What do you think was the cause for the, the lack of strife, if you will, uh, amongst the people there? Is it the lack of skeptics, or do you think maybe just that the case hasn't really evolved much in the last 10 years since the uh, since the 97 situation? Well, you know, right before the <clears throat> conference, there was that, uh, you know, strangely timed release. I'm saying strangely in quotes. Yeah. Of that disclo- the um, deathbed statement of what was it, Walter Hout? Mm-hmm, the Hout affidavit. Yeah, um, and people were very interested in that. You know, wanted to see it, um, but uh, it, it, what I heard, which I guess might be part of the squabbling, I don't know. <laughs> it wasn't overt squabbling. What I, what I basically heard about it is that. Um, it was the the statement was taken by somebody else, and um, at that point, Howard was not in the best mental condition, so he might have been, you know, willing to say whatever he thought he was supposed to say, which makes it really not worth so much. And even if he was in his right mind and saying what he said, he's not really saying anything different than he did while he was alive, or than other people have said was that they saw something they thought was not uh, from this world that was in Roswell in 1947. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed a lot of uh, like buzz around the affidavit, actually, like uh, the Hout affidavit, where a lot of people were really excited about it at the time, but it didn't seem to break break the story, if you will. It didn't break the Roswell back, despite what everyone had kind of hoped. Yeah, it's one of those things that makes people in the UFO, some people in the UFO field, very excited, but outside of the UFO field, nobody really cares, and it makes no real great impact. Yeah. Which is uh, what most of these things are. That seems to be the case, yeah. A lot of things, they'll break through the mainstream for a couple of days, but they never have that staying power that, that you think they might. Do you think that Roswell sort of turned the corner in 1997 with the 50th anniversary and it's going downhill a little bit now? It's maybe fading somewhat. Maybe it'll explode again sort of for the 75th anniversary, but we're kind of in a down cycle of Roswell. Yeah, probably, because so, like you said, nothing really new has come out about it. And, uh, you know, something I was thinking of right just now when I was making my last statement was that um, if, let, let's say, in 1978, if somebody, if a uh, stealth fighter crashed mm-hmm. and somebody happened upon it and they were just big pieces, they wouldn't know what the hell it was. Yeah. They wouldn't think it was an airplane. They, they, would, they might guess that it's an airplane, but it's all flat, it's black, and it's got this kind of weird... Um, uh, if it's broken, I guess I, I think they've got kind of a honeycombed uh, carbon fiber kind of uh, surface. I don't know. I'm not privy to these things. <laughs> but, I, I, you know, there's the possibility that people would have not known what they were looking at at that point. And the military, of course, did, and they tell people to shut up about it. I mean, that's just a possibility there. Maybe there were aliens. Maybe it was um, some t- secret test thing. I, I do not know. Um, of course, there's there's Nick's book that combines elements of all those things that made a lot of people very angry for for uh, and I'm glad it did because it, it uh, starts controversy and gets people talking. But do you think that ufologies like over reliance on Roswell maybe finally kind of 
coming to a close. It'll still obviously be held up on a pedestal as like the uh, the Keystone UFO case, but at the same time, maybe people are kind of starting to move on a little bit from it. I hope. Do you? Yeah. Think that's well, I'm glad they're moving on from it because other things like um, you know people's reactions and uh, how does the phenomenon interact with people on a personal and psychological level and things like that that nobody really looks at. All they look at is ground traces and what was flying and what angle was it at and how big was it and how long was it here. Um, that's been done to death, and we've got so much of that data that we don't know what to do with it, which is why I said the, you know, maybe the government uh, disclosure stuff will help a little bit. But there's so many other aspects to the phenomenon that nobody's really concentrated on. And what do you, like, uh, talk a little bit more about that then. What, what do you think, obviously you kind of touched on them, but, but talk more about that. What, what elements should they be looking at? Well, like I said, I, I, I wrote a column about this. What about subjective uh, reactions to UFO encounters. What, how did it make the person feel? What did they think was happening? Were there any lasting effects? Do they have nightmares about it later? Do they have dreams about it? Did it happen again? Does the person see things later? You know, the, the phenomenon relates to people on different levels than just seeing things. Yeah. And I don't think that a lot of UFO investigators ask those questions about people. They just ask them about physical aspects of it, not not mental aspects, not dare I say it, spiritual aspects of the of the phenomenon. Because I, I've talked to people where they said, you know, their 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 value system got changed, their religious views got changed. Um, is that because it's coming from the outside of them? Are they being affected by the phenomenon, or is there something inherent in the you know in the human um, psyche that that uh, is uh, affected by by experience with a UFO or something anomalous like that? There's a there's a real dearth of information and study on that kind of. Uh, those kind of effects, and I think they're just as important. And in some cases, they might even be more important than uh, just like you know getting the getting the straight physical facts. Yeah, that might be a huge part of the puzzle that uh, we haven't been looking at because that that kind of stuff is not valued very highly in 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 uh, in science and our society is is uh, subjective emotional uh, reactions to things. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think that. Uh you think that's probably just like part and parcel with sort of the UFO researchers who want to, you know, the nuts and bolts aspect of it, and they don't want to get into the spiritual side of it and that whole, you know, internal debate within the UFO scene about nuts and bolts versus uh, the spiritual aspect type of thing, and they want the hard evidence, if you will, stuff that they can show to the real scientists' attitude. Yeah, well, of course they can show that to real scientists, but the real scientists, for the most part, aren't going to care because yeah. All they have is a bunch of data about something that can't be put in a lab, can't be repeated, can't be um, called up on demand, etc. That that's what science deals with, and, and I think science is, is as it's configured right now. At least the physical sciences have dealt um, as much as they can, and have gone, have probably gone almost as far as they can in in analyzing UFO reports, as opposed to UFO encounters. Yeah. So we need to take more of a look at the action, the encounter, like you said, than the, just the sighting. Right, exactly. Um, I, actually, I found on somebody's website, and I think it's in one of my books, there's a, uh, uh, what is it, sort of a chart that Jacques Vallée drew up in the 1960s. Yeah. And it's a um, kind of an array of uh, different effects that were felt or seen Etc. During a UFO sighting, 
And one of them, wait, let me see if I can find it. It's, it's, it's uh, vastly interesting to me. But what it does is include um, physical effects, um, lasting effects, psychological and physical, stuff like that. Yeah. Things that you don't often see in a UFO report. Do you think that, that ufology will turn towards that, or is it going to just take like a whole new generation of researchers to, to sort of do that? Because it seems like it, what, what are we going to call Peter Downport now and start asking like additional questions or something like that? It's hard to, to sort of turn that, turn that corner, if you will, on, on changing the way the researchers do the research. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think, it, you know what, I think it's going to take new people coming in and, and concentrating on this for a long period of time before yeah. we see any effect of it because people that are doing it now I think they're kind of locked you know nothing against them but they're locked in their ways about how they want to uh, look at the UFO subject and how they think um, the uh, problem or whatever the mystery is going to be solved and you know for hundreds and hundreds of years mysteries have been solved by science exactly yeah. now science runs up against something that it can't solve with the with the tools that it has at the at the moment so I'm not saying anything against science. I'm saying that maybe, you know, other sciences and other aspects of the human experience must be put into the equation. Here it is, um, level one, sighting, level two, physical effects, level three, living entities, level four, and this is, this is uh, interesting, reality transformation. <laughs> How did the person feel at the time of the sighting? Did they feel like... You know, everything was as it was during the sighting, after the sighting, um, weeks, months, years after the sighting. Lasting injury, that's another one. I think it's important, you know, and that's just the beginning there. That, that, that Valet came up with in the 60s, I believe. Yeah. Um, that's just the beginning of other aspects of uh, encounters that, that uh, people that do research in this should be looking at. I've, I've never been a ufologist. I haven't gone out and done field research and questioned witnesses and been there right after the sighting or whatever. Although I've had, it's funny, I've had people call me and tell me some, a, a guy, a friend of mine called me about a month ago and said, I'm watching a UFO right now. Oh, wow. Really? He goes, yeah, it's out over the ocean. And he described it to me. That's cool. But the thing was that, you know, it didn't, he said it looked like the moon in the sky. And then he realized he saw the moon right next to it. So it wasn't the moon. And then somebody pointed out to me later, which was good, I love this, to have this, this uh, uh, at my fingertips um, with the, the net and blogging and all that. And he goes, you know, there's, there was no moon out that night. <laughs> <laughs> there was, the, the moon didn't appear that night. And so then I'm left wondering, was this, guy, was this guy screwing around with me or is there something extremely weird going on there? That's just strange. That's a weird. He one. swears to me that there was that. That's what happened, and he saw these these two shapes, and one was the moon, and one wasn't, and the one that wasn't the moon just looked like this round orb, and he said it looked like these tentacles or something were closing around it as a shadow. Then it got small, and these lights around it were blinking, and then it flew off over the ocean. Oh, weird. Why can't I see anything like that? I don't know. That's the same thing I'm asking. It's funny. <laughs> I did reports. Um, gathered off the internet um, of these California sightings all within about two weeks of each other, like four of them. Yeah, yeah. And two of them were within like a couple of miles of where I was, but not at the time I was there. <laughs> and one was, you know, at four in the morning in Burbank, which is over the hill from me here, over the Hollywood Hills. 
and uh, one was near San Diego at the, the Marine Base at Camp Pendleton, which I'd, I had driven by like two days before. And one was um, out in the uh, out near Victorville, where I was out at the dry lake flying. I was out there flying a, a paraglider, and I left it at like by about three o'clock. And at about five o'clock, the sighting started, and it went on for about two hours. Oh man, <laughs> they're looking for you, dude. <laughs> They they, they they like to be there after I'm gone. I guess so, yeah. Gone? Okay, let's go. You have a stalker, uh, an intergalactic stalker. <laughs> and, and actually, there's a kind of good segue here, because you were talking about the uh, the good aspects of, of uh, you know, the online world of ufology. And, and this year, we did see uh, kind of one of the bad aspects, in a way. And that's the sort of viral rage that was the uh, the drone photos that sort of uh, lit a little, little fire in ufology uh, during the summer. I kind of like to think of them as 2007's version of Serpo uh, because they became wildly popular on the Internet. Um, but I don't really know. I didn't really dig too much into it. I kind of poo-pooed them. Um, I like to give these kind of stories the time to percolate, and usually if they're any good, they'll, they'll last. And I don't know too much more about the drone stories. But I'm sure you saw at least the emergence of the drone story in 2007. Uh, the drone photo story. Uh, what, what did you think of that whole thing? You know what's funny is I thought it was more more of the. You said it was like Serpo. I thought it was brought to you by the same people or some of the same people that were involved with Serpo. Really? I had that feeling just because of what it was and the way it was presented. You see, when when Serpo happened, there was um, the internet was not. Uh, Oh, no, what am I saying? Serpo happened, at, at, I think, when people that were perpetrating it were aware of how they could use the Internet. Yeah. Because um, before that, they had to, you know, they had to find people and kind of, you know, maybe like Victor Martinez and shoot information out through those people. And then somebody realized, I don't know why it took them so long, why don't we just do our own thing on the Internet and, and do it that way? Um and what I'm talking about is people, the people in uh, intelligence and counterintelligence, doing things to to, to mess with people for a for a, a different purpose, for which I do not know what that purpose is. Um, but I'm pretty sure that it was a it was a government concocted uh, uh, hoax. Um, the drone photos, you mean? Uh, drone photos, I'm not as sure, but I've got a I've got a, a sneaking hunch. Really, but. Yeah, it's weird to wonder why they would do something like that in the first place, unless it's like a psychological experiment to see how stories spread or something like that in a small community type of thing. Well, I think it's something to do with um, passing messages, like in the like right out in the open. What do you mean? Let's say I wanted to pass a message to somebody. Yeah. Um, and then somebody announces that there's going to be a, a this brand new giant pretty statue in the middle of the park. And there's going to be inscription on the bottom of it. Everybody goes and looks at the inscription, and everybody says, oh, that's very nice. And two or three people who know what they're looking for go and look at part of the inscription and get the piece of information that they need, that they need to off of that inscription. Weird. And you think that's what, there was like a message in the drone photo for certain people, but we're, you and I aren't privy to what the message was? I think that's what Serpo was. And the drone thing, since it had so many elements to it, that... Um, I think there might have been a message in there somewhere. That's bizarre. Maybe in the writing, maybe in the timing of the the uh, pictures, maybe what the pictures showed. I don't know. I mean, I, I may be 
totally out on a limb and a complete idiot here, but it, it, to me it had the same earmarks of kind of the Serpo thing because it was totally weird, completely insane, completely unsupported. There's no way to check up on it, really, and everybody that it was involved with it was anonymous. Yeah. And, In fact, the and, person that came out with it said that, you know, it was first called, no, he was called Chad, that's right. And it took off kind of like wildfire in, in, on the online world. Yeah, and it took off like wildfire for a while. Now, if some private person was doing it, you know, it, it, uh, uh, cheers to them. Good, good job. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't think it had anything to do with – somebody said it was a viral marketing campaign for uh, Halo or whatever the name of that. What's that? What's the, the video game? Yeah, yeah. I think that was the guy who writes for my website. That was his theory on the whole thing. Yeah, and the, you know what? I, I actually played that video game with somebody. I don't play video games because I think they're a waste of time to me. But I started playing it with this guy, this friend of mine who was six. I was just hanging out with him playing the video game, and I was looking around for all that alien writing. I didn't see any of it. I don't know. I don't play video games either, so <laughs> I'll have to ask him. To I didn't play the whole game. I don't know. But if, if some of that stuff was supposed to be featured prominently in that game, I didn't see it. And I played it for like two hours with this guy. Yeah, he posted a little follow-up to it, actually. I haven't posted it on the website, but it'll be up there today. Uh, he does mention that, and uh, I think he provides a link to some of something with the alien aspects to Halo. So, I don't know. I'll, have to, I'll forward you the, uh, the URL for that. Uh, there was a guy in England that, that produced that uh, really cool um, little vi music video, and he took all of the... the uh, Graphics and the and the uh, the pictures and all that and made kind of a like this this fake little short film about it which was was great it was fun I can't remember the name of the guy wait and the funny thing was after I posted about it um, the guy the the person that actually did it came on the the list and and said uh, thanks for giving me the kudos for it and it was fun to make it <laughs> well, that's cool just to sort of like jump back to the message theory. Who would do you think the messages will be between the government and people in ufology, or completely outside people outside of ufology? Completely else? outside of people ufology, but it picks up people in ufology and people that are, you know, if 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 it got to the point where I'm thinking of it or I have the suspicion, obviously people that outside of this country or terrorists or whatever, um, different governments are going to have that suspicion, too, so they're going to start hanging around it. it, it you know what? I, I may have this tunnel vision because of the Benowitz thing and that yeah. disinformation campaign. Um, but the, the purpose of that of a lot of this disinformation is, <clears throat> is uh, at least in this case with Serpa and, and the other thing, is, is one, to, you know, present some information that's being passed between people, and two, to uh, which is a classic disinformation thing, is to pull people out of their holes who might be hiding there, um, like like putting putting out a putting out a sugar and see which flies come to it, or turning on a light and see which moths come to it, or whatever. Yeah. So if that's not there, those people are going to stay in the woodwork. And with the internet, you can track who's interested in things. You know what what people were using, what search. Uh, Search parameters, especially early on, because after you know, after a few days, it just went. You know, it, it's it's a huge mess. Yeah. So, like, uh, maybe as an example, would be like, you know, if they're if the terrorists are trying to figure out how to, you know, uh, combat the drones or something that the U.S. government flies over the Middle East. You know, if they were interested in the drone story, the drone UFO story, all of a sudden, then the government can kind of track those people down and and uh, and get on them type of thing. Is that kind of the yeah. right? Right idea. It used to be who was coming out to Area 51 to take pictures 
or you know who was going over by the military base to uh, ask people questions about UFO sightings that didn't happen to be anybody anyone knew about. Yeah, now it's like who's trying to find out uh, more about the drone planes. Yeah, like I said, I could be completely way out of line, totally off in left field here. Well, it but makes that, that you know, I, 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 these little scenarios, I, I run through in my head. I play with them, and I sit on, sit on, on them for a while, look at information, talk to people, and see if they bear any fruit. I don't know if it will. I, I, I you know, there's people who have gone far, a lot further with the Serpo thing than I ever wanted to, because as soon as I got into it, I realized there's a lot of emotion and and uh, what's the word, territorialism and things like that associated with and strongly held opinions associated with looking at this stuff. And I just didn't want to get into it because I, I got some I got some wicked, nasty emails from people just because of talking about Serpo. And I got – it just – I put up a, I put up a little um, picture right after I did a, a, one of my Serpo things, and I had a picture of the uh, 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 Br'er Fox and the Tar Baby. <laughs> I, as soon as I stuck my hand in it, it stuck on me and it wouldn't let go, and it, I, it was very unpleasant. So I just don't want to. I'd rather sit in the background and watch and talk to people quietly rather than make pronouncements. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like I said, I could be totally wrong. Um, I don't think I am. I, don't, I think part of what I'm thinking and what I've heard from different people is right and makes sense. And you know, just what I told you about passing messages and that—that's like kind of the, the the scratching the bare surface of it. But you know, publicly, I don't want to get into a lot of the stuff that I talk about uh, on that angle with certain people because it's just it's it's too charged politically. You know, for people politically, not like global yeah. politics or anything. And it, there's a lot of. Um, there's a lot of emotion and, and strongly held beliefs around it, and and uh, it's just it's just too much noise for me to deal with. And so I think a lot of work is done by people who kind of quietly sit in the background, and then at some point when everything makes sense and everything falls into place and you have a good argument and uh, people that are willing to talk, then you say something about it. Um, I think that's what pe- this information people count on, too, is for people, as soon as they get information, to spit it straight out into the public. Yeah, yeah, and and if you get, if you get mixed up in the whole debate and everything, that's kind of you're just going along with kind of what they want anyway. So it's better to sort of let it play out in the first place. Yeah, and it's just I get I get the feeling I used to get a lot of this information from different people, like you know, uh, people that said they were privy to certain information, and I don't anymore. Um, and I think it's because one, I probably said a couple things I shouldn't have, which is part of the reason of shutting up, <laughs> and. Uh, and the other reason is I don't – I'm really careful about – <laughs> I try to be really careful about what I say um, publicly. What yeah. I'm not, it's, it's made very clear to me very quickly um, from a lot of different quarters that I sh- shouldn't have said what I said. And it's happened a couple of times in my life, and it's, it's been kind of upsetting. Oh, boy. One was way back when I was doing the Excluded Middle magazine. I, I published something, and the person that gave it to me said that um, – um, his unit or people or whoever said that I didn't present it the way they wanted to and they didn't want to tell me anything anymore. Oh, man, that sucks. Yeah, the, but the thing was about about three or four months later, they were doing the same thing again. But after that, I didn't say any – I didn't release anything that they told me anymore, and they lost interest. Weird. So it's like a weird dance. Yeah, that's exactly what it's like. Strange. And they're leading. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, if you try to lead, they drop you. 
Hey, you're stepping on my feet. Get away from me. Yeah. Weird. I'm just not really involved in that anymore. I, I you know, I, it's just basically, you know, friends and people I've known for a long time, and um, occasionally somebody will get in touch with me and, you know, say, oh, I read so-and-so. And then somebody will come on the... Uh, come on the blog sometime and start saying things I, I know he's not supposed to know, or he or she or whoever it is. Yeah. And they'll kind of put out feelers and talk to me a little bit, um, and then they'll drop it, and then I never hear from them again. That's strange. Happened a couple of times, and one of the guy's names on the on the on the on uh, on UFO Mystic, which I thought was a great name for somebody who might be doing this, was Whisperstream. <laughs> That's a screen name. Now, what would you say the attitude was of uh, the people in ufology? Obviously, there was a huge debate over Serpo. Did the drone photo, uh, I, I noticed that it got a lot of play in, in the UFO scene, and I'm sure there was a lot of debate about it, but what, would you say a lot of the big names and normal people sort of uh, try to just keep a, keep a, keep it at arm's length, if you will, while it settled down, or, or what was the attitude in the UFO field about the drones photos? I think most people that were that, that uh, believed themselves to be serious about it com almost completely ignored it because it was so outrageous and it was completely there was no way to prove it. Yeah. You know, and it, you know it's fun. It's like a fun carnival ride, but it doesn't get any work done. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Need oh. fun carnival rides, which is why I talked about it on the on the uh, on the site because it's fun and it's a, and it's a, an aspect of the uh UFO experience and how we react to it even if it was based on completely nothing as I I think it was um although you know what's very funny is somebody uh made a comment on one of the posts I think he said now that Whitley Strieber has come out and kind of supported this drone thing and saying he saw one he said just wait people are going to start seeing them in other different places now yeah. And it might take on a life of its own just because that meme has been injected into the into the uh into the culture, into the conversation, into our into our uh ideas of what we should be seeing in the sky no matter how insane it is. I thought that was a great idea and I I, I wonder if that's going to happen. When did Woodley Streamer say that like recently? Yeah, he's because he's I, I read uh, something on his site um he said he I think in Early December, December 7th, actually, Pearl Harbor Day, he said he woke up in the middle of the night and he saw one of the drone things hanging out right outside his window in Santa Monica oh, over wow. the ocean. Yikes. Um, yeah. And being Whitley Strieber, I believe him, but I also believe that um, he's gotten to the point where whatever the phenomenon is or whatever it's doing to him is almost indistinguishable from you know, something that everybody else would call a dream or something like that. Not to say that it's not real. There is something real going on with Strieber, and there has been for a long time, something coming from outside his consciousness. But he's such a high-profile character, and he's such a creative person, and, you know, I'm, it may sound like I'm trying to say he's delusional, he doesn't know what he's talking about, and we shouldn't believe him. That's, that's not what I'm saying at all. Uh, given what I said about uh, subjective reactions and emotional reactions and all that to UFO sighting, um, I, I think that for better or worse, he's kind of like the, the bellwether of what might be coming 
you know, occasionally in uh, our interaction with, with, with whatever it is that's out there. It's funny, some people think that I don't believe in any UFOs and I think it's ridiculous and I'm a big skeptic. It's like, you know, that couldn't be further from the truth. I think that there's something that's extra human, not us, that affects us every once in a while and we don't have, we can't get a good handle on it. And, uh, things like, uh, Serpo and like the, the drone thing, the carrot phenomenon as it's called, whatever you want to call it, um, that comes in out of left field, probably made up, but then shapes our collective idea about what UFOs should be, at least in one aspect. Does that make any sense? I think so, yeah. I think so. Um, now, based on what we've seen now with Serpo and the drone thing, should we expect more of these types of, uh, of you know, um, wildfire stories, you know, in the years to come? I presume so. Yeah, of course. And, you know, it, it, I can't wait to see what, what's come up with next. Yeah. Do you I'd think? like to see a drone hovering over the, you know, over O'Hare Airport. That would be hilarious. <laughs> do you, would, could you even venture to guess what, what we'll see next? I mean, nobody really could have predicted the, uh, the, the Serpo and then the drone thing, so it's probably hard to even imagine. But, uh, I mean, can you even, can you even venture a guess what we might, what might be the next big thing? You know what? When, as soon as you say that, the first thing that comes to mind is the, the first scene in one of, uh, Strieber's books where everybody in that one town heard the nine knocks on the side of their, side of their, uh, houses at like two or three in the morning. Yeah. Just some, like, massive but totally contained thing that, that hits the news because I hadn't heard of it till I read about it in Strieber's, book, but there were news reports about it. Weird. So that's what you think might be, just off the top of your head. Interesting. Like a psychic premonition almost. Yeah, I mean, that's what I flashed on as soon as you asked that. All right. If there's something else trying to communicate with us, it's the, I was having this argument with somebody at work. He goes, well, until they land on the White House lawn, and I said, um, I don't think it happened that way. I think it's going to be from the bottom up instead of the top down. Yeah, like just a mass UFO type sighting where they'll appear over like all the cities or something crazy like that? No, no. Um something um ridiculously subtle. Like, you know, seeding a few different peop few hundred or thousand people here and there with uh with with uh strange ideas that um that kind of bubble up from the subconscious and, and people are not quite totally aware of but they know that there's something there. You know what I mean? Um Vaguely, what would it like turn into like a phenomenon, a national type phenomenon, or just, just, I don't know, I'm a little confused by what, what you're saying. Well, I'm confused about what I'm saying too. <laughs> if I was coming from another planet or dimension or somebody that wasn't human, or this planet, whatever, I wanted to, I got to the point where I had to admit I was here because there was no way around it. Because if you had a, you know, if, the, if whatever it is had a choice, then, you know, it's either going to say yes, let's deal with these people, or no, forget it. Obviously, it's yes. Let's deal with these people. Yeah, because it keeps it keeps showing up, you know. But the time schedule for this consciousness and us and our way of looking at things and doing things there, there's such a wide gulf between it. You know, how how do we go about doing that? You know, just saying, oh, we're here. You know, that's going to make everybody go, whoa. <laughs> it's not going to be good for either either uh, side. Yeah. So, you know, what's another way to do this? And this is, you know, I, I think I'm getting this directly from Strieber, is um, go to a few hundred people or a few thousand people or a couple million people and start nudging them in a way that they have to admit that 
that uh, there's something else there. There's something that there's something coming from outside the human experience that has to be take, that has to be noticed and has to be uh, has to be dealt with. It's you know kind of like an you know an animal kind of you know checking you out and maybe coming up and taking something out of your hand and then backing off a little bit and you know doing it in a very careful and and uh, subtle way but you know doing it like an animal but in, a, in an infinitely more uh, intelligent way and subtle way and and uh, and subconscious way even yeah I it, I I know I sound very vague but. It's one of those things where I can't presume to to uh, describe how something that isn't human thinks. So you know, I got to use our metaphors and our words and our language to try and describe that. Exactly. Yeah. But when they interact with these people, then it would sort of like start something in them where where they would you know reach like some kind of critical mass, if you will. Is that kind of what you're saying? Like it would start with a few people, and then they would sort of it would just become it would help to grease the wheels of acceptance. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it, to the point where, you know, plant that seed until we're at the point where, and maybe push us along a bit, little bit, till we're at the point where we can see reality in a different way. Yeah. And, and I hate using the word reality, and every time I use it, I put it in quotes practically. Yeah, but it's got to be like a slow evolution and not uh, just a them land on the White House lawn, because they, they probably know as well as we do that that would be a bad idea. Uh, yeah. Well, do you think there's something else besides humans here that are affecting us? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Then we're, we're talking on the same page here. Yeah. I'm, I'm not willing to say there's people coming from other planets and people being abducted and taken away for uh, genetic uh, experiments and all that. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I doubt it. I don't know if I believe it. Yeah. What I'm pretty certain of is there's something that's not human that's been affecting us for thousands and thousands of years. Exactly. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I don't try to get married to one theory or anything like that because before, as soon as you get into one thing, you find some other news that you have to try and fit into your right exactly thing, and you know it becomes a nightmare. And it's better just to sit back, look at all the stuff, and try and figure out exactly what's going on. You know, but realize that at the base of it, you're not going to figure it out because you're like the millionth person to look at it. So. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> It's just, it's just, um, it's there for everybody to interpret in the way that they want to. And I think that if there is, you know, if there is something else trying to communicate with us, that's what they're dealing with. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it has any connection to, you know, seeing flying saucers in the sky. Probably it does. Um, that may just be a little signpost in the in the overall campaign. And the, you know, like I said, the time frame for for them might be completely different for us. We think it, you know, like we got to get something done in, in, you know, this amount of time, in two weeks or five years or whatever. Mm -hmm. But to them, it's like, well, whenever. Yeah. You know, we got time. We don't care. We're going to do it the way we want. If there is even a, you know, a collective you know, understanding about what's going on, they may be all completely, totally independent uh, agents. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's really, uh, it's hard to wrap your mind around it to try and pin down some kind of like, rationale or motivation behind what is going on is probably not going to work because there's many different uh, motivations probably behind all the different stuff that seems to be happening. Yeah, and there's many different theories about that. I keep saying, you know, there's this other thing, you know, maybe it's part of our subconscious. Maybe we think it's part of our subconscious and just by the nature of what we think is reality, it's not that. It's, you know, our subconscious is everything or whatever we connect to down there. 
I don't know. Maybe it's aliens coming from other planets. I, you know, could be. Yeah. But, you know, my nature, by, by my nature, is if the, the, an entire crowd is looking at something and saying this is what it is, I immediately run off in the other direction because <laughs> I want to see what everybody else is missing, whether it has validity or not. Yeah. Because sometimes it does. And even if it doesn't, it's, it's uh, often interesting and fun. <laughs> the interruption, but I'm Mike Wilbon. Tony, more than 30 people in Stephenville, Texas, say they saw a UFO. You believe them? Well, Tony Kornheiser, believe them. Who do you think was up there getting probed? Uh, I'm going to presume... Do you know how many times I've gone through alien probes in my life? Well, how'd you get back here so quickly? <laughs> Teleportation. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. This is why we play the game. To sort of jump into the next big, uh, like, talking point, if you will, in, in the calendar year of 07, as far as UFO stories that broke through, and that's uh, this uh, Kucinich. I may have got the, the chronology of these two wrong, but I'll start with the Kucinich story. And just that uh, the story came out, uh, I think Shirley MacLaine wrote a book or something that said she was friends with Kucinich, and uh, he saw a UFO, and all of a sudden it became quite a big story. And they even asked him about it during the presidential debate, and many people in the... Uh, in the more exopolitical realm of ufology who want who really want this UFO story to be treated as a national issue and want it to be discussed were, you know, wetting themselves with excitement when the the, the, the three letters UFO were used during a presidential debate. Mm-hmm. Um, it became a huge story in and of itself, kind of really Kucinich wasn't taken very seriously as a candidate in the first place, and this was kind of the death knell for him as a candidate because he became pinned with that UFO tag for I would probably say for the rest of his political career. I don't think he'll ever get over the UFO tag. Um, And and so we kind of learned a lot about the way uh, politics and the media really feel about the UFO phenomenon as far as treating it as a national issue. Um, I guess just talk about that. I mean, we don't have to actually talk about Kucinich seeing a UFO because, you know, much like the Simon King thing, that's irregardless. The real thing that I thought was interesting was the way it was looked at by the media. You yeah, know. you know what? I, it, as you were saying that, I was thinking, you know what? I wonder who inserted that question and it, 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 uh, decided to bring that up and put that into the debate. Yeah. A Republican or another candidate, perhaps? <laughs> well, the, the reason, you know, they don't take it seriously because nobody knows what it is. And if you don't know what something is, you got to put it in the I don't know box. And the I don't know box doesn't fit real well in politics. Yeah. You know, or I'm not sure. The other thing is, I think there's a lot more important things going on than where do UFOs come from and who's seen them. Yeah. Um, and everybody realizes that. Whatever you think about the political process in this country or, you know, if it's been compromised or whatever, UFOs are like down the list, you know, in the list of 500, it's down at, you know, 499 or 500. Yeah, it's like boxes or briefs. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of interpreted this in some ways as really bad, a bad situation in a way for the exopolitical movement or, you know, the UFO disclosure, getting it into the political aspect thing, because, you know, they've been really pushing for for uh, discussion of the UFO subject by presidential candidates and political candidates. And when they finally got it, they really got uh a slap in the face, kind of, if you will, as far as like how it was going to be treated. All right. Exactly. They're, they're, I don't know what their exact plan is, but uh, you, unless you have somebody that has a really, really strong profile, you know, kind of a bulletproof political career, 
and is a strong leader and speaks well and popularly on all other subjects, I don't think you can assert UFOs in the debate until after the person's in office. I think that's when they should be bothering the person. Make sure, quietly ask them if they're interested in the UFO subject, if they have any any uh, experience with it, and then that personal interest has to carry them into into political office, not as part of a campaign, but as part of something that they want to take care of when they get elected. Yeah, I don't I don't know how to do that, but it, it would seem that that's the way to to get somebody interested in it because by and large the press who determine what's important don't care about the UFO thing if if it's mixed with politics. Um, in fact, you know, like we've said, to, to, they they really tend to downplay it and laugh at it. Getting over that hump is insurmountable. It's more like people that are already in office that are interested in it, like you know Jimmy Carter was and, and Reagan was. And I can't think of anybody since then, any, any president since then, has really had uh, the UFO thing as part of their anything that they're really interested in finding out about. Yeah. So you, you to the bottom of you know the uh, when Clinton got in office, he said he was going to get the he, he wanted to get the Kennedy files released or wanted to see them, and as far as I know, he never saw them. They wouldn't even show them to him, the the, the JFK file. Yeah. So Ones that are sealed till 2025 or whatever it is. Yeah, something crazy like that. So you're saying it's it's more advantageous to sort of like let the UFO phenomenon kind of come to them instead of trying to force the issue onto the politicians. Yeah, at least at this point, because, you know, and, until people think it's important, I don't think politicians are going to think it's important. It has to be a personal interest of theirs. Yeah, it did kind of show the other side of the coin in a way, because in, like we were saying in the O'Hare story in January, it was treated pretty seriously. But then uh, coming around to November with the Kucinich UFO story, then it was the other side of the coin where it was really, the giggle curtain was really in full effect. I guess the lasting effect I had from the from the whole Kucinich UFO story and how they kind of brought the issue to other candidates and stuff was, was once I saw how poorly it was treated by the media, then I was kind of like, oh, wait a minute now, this isn't going to be as easy as it, as they've been saying it was, or, you know, this is going to take a lot longer than it seemed. So who knows, you know, but maybe, you know, maybe in the 2012 election, now we, we kind of got the UFO issue out there and, oh, wait, maybe we can get it further in, in 2012. Who knows? Yeah, UFOs and the paranormal and things like that are going to be important to a lot of people when the UFOs and whatever it is decides it's supposed to be important. Yeah, yeah, and when it has some kind of effect on people that beyond just a passing interest, do you know what I mean? More than a thought question, when it has some kind of effect where, you know... Yeah, when everybody's affected in some way. Yeah, when they're Which is why I said that that's... (laughs) I think the phenomenon is going to decide when that happens, not us. Yeah. And then the other big event, pretty much to close out the year, uh, was the was the November uh, disclosure press conferences, or uh, one cr- press conference, and sort of a media blitz, really, uh, in November for uh, disclosure, uh, witnesses, government witnesses coming out, that kind of thing. It was sort of a rehash of the 2000, I think it was 2001, maybe, or 2000, I don't, I forget the, the year, but uh, Stephen Greer wasn't involved with this one. It was from a different group. Uh, this sort of November disclosure push that happened all of a sudden. Um, I guess just what was your take on that whole series of events? And let's start with that, just what your take was on all that. Well, because of my uh, opinion about exopolitics and all that, I didn't follow it that much because I didn't think it would make that much of a difference and not many people would care. The thing was that these people keep trying to get 
UFOs out into uh, a public debate, which is great. And I wish it was more in the public debate. And like I said, it's an uphill battle, and I, I'm not, that's not a battle I want to deal with. Um, the only one I remember, the, I think there was one at the National Press Club that was uh, hosted or, or moderated by Symington. Yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. Uh-huh. And then it seemed like that turned into a little bit of a media blitz, but then yeah, and then there was there was very soon after that there was uh, something on Larry King's show with a few different people, including Stan Friedman and yep. and a couple other people. What, who was the astronaut that was on there that rambled on? I want to say Buzz Aldrin. Was it Aldrin or I, Cooper? Or, uh. I believe it was Buzz Aldrin. I know he was on in July and was rambling and had a little model and stuff and was showing it off and. and just like kept trying to explain it, and Larry just kept trying to speed him up. So that might be what you're, <laughs> that might be what you're thinking of. Yeah, well, I'm sorry I didn't pay more attention to it, and it, you know, it made, you know, it made a little blip on my screen, and everybody I know, no blip at all. Really? Yeah, well, not UFO people, but just friends of mine, and, <sighs> you know, people I work with, and my flying buddies and stuff. They, yeah. Most of them didn't even hear about it. Yeah, that was the thing. It was. uh it was really pumped up a lot, it seemed, in ufology, but in the end, as is the case with just about every story we've talked about here uh, this year that went by in the UFO scene, nothing had that staying power that, that we really sort of need, and nothing really latched on and, and, and had, you know, more more of a role to it. Yeah, but, you know, if like I said, it would have to be something where <clears throat> something very strange happened to a lot of people over a period of time. And that was that somebody was paying attention to in a large media outlet. That or there could be a big book written about it or something. Because you know when uh, communion came out, that was like a bomb being dropped. So you think like maybe like another flap type situation, like kind of like what happened in the '60s and '70s type of thing? Yeah, maybe like a flap or a flap where people are there's some sort of lasting effect, or somebody says they're going to be back on this day, and it comes back on that day. Yeah. I don't think has ever happened. It may have happened once or twice. The last time I think it happened was at, at Fatima in Portugal, but <laughs> where the thing did come back when it said it would. Yeah, that's pretty much uh, like the big events of the year, and then uh, we kind of talked about that. One of the big trends, I guess you could say, in the year that I sort of noticed uh, that was really started coming around a lot uh, at the beginning of this year was this kind of like explosion in paranormal TV. Seem like there's been a lot more paranormal shows, and there's even more coming up on the horizon. Are you sensing that as well? That that there is maybe with the writer's strike or something else. I'm not sure, but there seems to be a little bit more interest in the paranormal. All of a sudden, it's kind of coming around again. Well, not because of the writer's strike, because they need writers for these shows. But um, yeah, I, I noticed that. But I also noticed that it was more like it's more like ghost stuff. Yeah. There is that UFO Hunter show coming out with uh, William Burns and a few other people, but that's the only one I really know about. Um, but yeah, most of them are like you know paranormal shows, like you said, like uh, ghost hunter shows, yeah, haunting shows, things like that. They they go through goes through uh, uh, stages, not stages, but uh, fads. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think <laughs> we just had a ghost hunter guy on uh, last night, and and. Uh, Pretty much, we were just talking about how the, the ghost hunting thing is definitely a huge fad right now. And uh, that kind of ties into sort of what I noticed as the trends in, in the uh, esoteric world for 07, just based on the stuff that I had seen and, and, and uh, having my ear to the ground. It seemed like the 9-11 thing starting to die down a little bit. Ghost hunting definitely picking up a lot. UFOs, 
even though they sort of broke into the mainstream, I still kind of felt like it was a little bit of a down year in a sense that it was more of the same. And I felt like cryptozoology is kind of a little bit on the rise. Might be seeing more of that, especially with, oh, yeah, definitely. with the Monster Hunters show and a little mm -hmm. bit more mainstream acceptance of cryptozoology. I guess just uh, sort of react to, to, uh, to, to those trends, if you will, if you think those are pretty accurate uh, depiction of what's going on in the fields. Yeah, I think UFOs got a nice boost at the beginning of the year, like we said with the O'Hare thing, and <clears throat> kind of held steady through the year. I don't think there was a downturn in UFO interest especially with the stuff coming out in the in the um the debates and uh, uh politicking and things like that um the ghost hunting stuff yeah um quite a bit up uh i have no explanation for that except for that it's not better you know people haven't paid as much attention to it of course there's you know psychic shows like john edward and all that that that, that are always popular they've been popular forever yeah um <clears throat> magazines all that and the cryptozoology thing that kind of surprised me that it you know that it got is getting so much play right now and i think the reason that people are more interested in cryptozoology than in other paranormal type things is cryptozoology on its face isn't really a paranormal pursuit yeah it's pursuit of animals that haven't been discovered yet or aren't accepted as being discovered yet yeah. and that can range anywhere from you know, that place in Sumatra or whatever they found, or that, that Garden of Eden place with like, you know, 8,000 different new species nobody had ever seen before, which is quite exciting. Um, that's a cryptozoal, you know, a as it as it turns from not known to known is kind of a cryptozoological uh, phenomenon. And then there's the classic ones like, you know, Bigfoot and Loch Ness Monster and uh, Lake Monsters, uh and then, you know, one-offs here and there, uh, as, you know, there's other things like, you know, kangaroo, phantom kangaroos and black cats and all that. You know, these are animals that are known about, and so they're easily easy to get a handle on. Yeah, there's black cats running around, there's panthers. What they're doing in the middle of England or, you know, in a backyard in, in, in Ohio, we do not know, but people saw them. You know, that that's an interesting thing. You know, it could have happened, I guess. It's 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 coming from a place that's not so, you know, out there as as uh, as uh, as aliens or whatever. Because you you know you you you're never going to see an alien in a zoo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but you might see Bigfoot in a zoo. I I have serious doubts as to whether every anyone will ever capture a Bigfoot because I don't think it's an actual physical being all the time. Um, that's my opinion right now. But, yeah, I think people are interested in it, and people with a science background. I, I noticed that cryptozoology pops up a lot on Boing Boing. Yeah, you were pointing that out on the uh, on, on UFO Mystic, that, that UFOs aren't cool, but uh, cryptozoology is, and that definitely seems yeah. to be the trend. I wasn't jealous of the cryptozoology and Lauren Coleman, who, like, you know, the guy's, <laughs> the guy's a, a giant in the, in the world of uh, anomalies. But what it was, was uh, what I was pointing out was, People that with a science background and the kind of people that look at that site, the cyberpunk kind of people that tend to think of themselves as, you know, hip and cool and all that on on top of a lot of trends, this appeals to them because it's it sort of tweaks the nose of science, but not that much. Mm -hmm. When you talk about alien stuff like that, it you know, it, it basically is, you know, slapping science in the face. Um, and that's that's not as comfortable for people. Although I did, you know, what's funny? I did talk to um, 
or emailed with Mark Pilkington, and he said that he had dinner with one of the people that writes for uh, Boing Boing, and he he said he gave him a stack of UFO books. Well, and he's look for maybe some more UFO posts on Boing. And you know what? I have noticed them more recently. They had one about the Texas uh, sightings that came up a couple of days ago. That was posted on Boing Boing. Yeah, see, that's what we got to do. I wouldn't have seen. I don't think it would have been on there last year. Yeah, we need more of a grassroots thing going on because that's that's the kind of thing that'll help. I got I got to I got to uh, you know I think I personally should write to the guy and introduce myself and say hey take a look at the site. This isn't the ufology that you think of when you know, think of some pimply guy with a fat pimply guy with glasses living at his mother his parents' place collecting clippings. You know it's 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 a little bit different than a lot of pe- than a lot of people think. If if you take care take the time to uh, take a look at it and brings up question philosophical questions and questions about the philosophy of science and how it might change to adapt to studying things like this. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've kind of, you know, we've been talking about on the show with guys like you and Mac Tonys and stuff and Nick Redfern that the UFO field's changing and maybe it's time to re-educate uh, the rest of the people as to what this field's really all about because it's not just, it's not, you know, it's not what what they may have thought it was in the 80s and 90s and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, the loudest segment of any any subculture yeah. tends to be the one that's that does the least thinking about, or you know, is the most entrenched. Yeah. I don't know if they do the least thinking, and that's what is presented to the world. Like, um, you think that uh, you know, there's people, you know, people are going to get mad at me now, but there's people in Psychop who are actual real skeptics that want to get to the bottom of things. But the loudest ones are the ones that have a fundamentalist belief in what they're what the, in the agenda that they're trying to push. Yeah, and that's what people think of as that organization. Yep, and it's the same way with the UFO. With yeah, the, UFO the loudest people in ufology, the people. I'm not saying loud like you know a bunch of boars standing around well, yelling. Zealots. The 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 people that get the most airtime, the people that are good at it, the people that are good at the media thing are the ones that are pushing the extraterrestrial thing. Yeah. And a lot of people in ufology are, 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 are tired of the extraterrestrial hypothesis. They accept it as a possible explanation. I do. Yeah. But it's a possible explanation and only one of, of uh, quite a few. And most people aren't aware of the others because they're not amenable to sound bites. Exactly. You know, I wish I could put the... Um, you know, Mac is going to be able to put the crypto terrestrial thing into a few sound bites. He's going to have to when he when the book comes out and he starts getting interviewed. And at that point, um, that'll be a little turning point, I think. I've got a lot of big hopes for that book. I wish I, I wish I'd I wish I'd written it. It's one of those things where you've got a few ideas, and you think, oh, this would be nice and this is interesting. But Mac has actually taken those ideas, run with them, thought about them a lot more, done the research, and he's he's done a book, and I can't wait to see it. Yeah, it should be interesting. I, I was really intrigued when we had him on the show to talk about it. And I'm looking forward to seeing what what he has when he has it all together in one, in one thing. It should be really cool. Yeah. Now, this is kind of outside of your realm, but one of the trends that I that I uh, mentioned here that I thought I noticed this year was that the 9-11 thing really had kind of died down after it sort of peaked out last year. Uh, did you get that impression at all? Probably maybe didn't even know, don't even really follow that sort of news, but... Uh, I, I sort of follow it, yeah. Did you get that impression, or do you think that it's still going strong? Or it felt, to me personally, it felt like it was peaking, 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 and then last year for the uh, in '06 for like the big fifth year anniversary, then it's kind of gone downhill since then with the side 
aside from this new weird trend of like um of like public rowdiness of of uh nine eleven you know don't taste me bro and and, yeah. and uh you know people people disrupting events seems like there's been a disrupting trend that's come up in the nine eleven thing but overall I felt like the buzz about it was definitely down in two thousand seven what do you think I agree with you I also think that you know what it's going to get immediately immediately immediate huge shot in the arm the next time there's a terrorist attack in the United States. Yeah. So this is going to be like a, a whole field that it's not going anywhere as a field. I mean, we, we it's not, it's like the new JFK thing in, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, it's it's gotten to the point where, you know, most people, I think, a lot of people accept that there's a big question mark there. Um, at least there's some doubt. Just like the JFK thing. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the kind of person that's going to, uh, you know, I have incredibly huge, you know, suspicions about any kind of power. I don't, I don't like centralization of it. I don't like cover-up of it. I don't like non-accountability of it. Um, and that all plays into the to the 9/11 thing, which makes me have serious doubts about the official story. I don't have a, a deeply held belief in any direction. I just have serious doubts, maybe more than other people. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that's what the 9-11 Truth Movement did, was plant that seed of doubt in people's minds. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, doubt is a great thing, you know. Um, it's nice to nail somebody to the floor and say, look at what you did, and have it, ir- 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 you know, inc- incontrovertible evidence. But that doesn't happen very often. But, the, you know, having the doubt there is a good thing. I mean, it's, it's, that, that's part of why we still live in this country and have elections and all that and, you know, hopefully have some democracy still going on. Yeah. You know, if it's got to be expressed as uh, doubt about something as horrible as 9-11, that, then, then that's good. I mean, that, that, that's a good thing. So I'm glad those people are around. I'm glad what they did what they did and are doing what they're doing. Yeah, it's been it's a fascinating sort of like field to watch because it's very rare uh, that you get to see like the birth of a movement in a way or, or sort of like the birth of a whole new realm of, of uh, the, the paranormal world because conspiracy is kind of in the paranormal world. Um, so it's kind of interesting to watch this thing as it grows and changes over the next, you know, five, ten years and where it's going to go next. And, yeah, and, well, why it's called parapolitics by a lot of people yeah. in that movement at the, uh, has been for a few years. Ken Thomas and, and uh, Rob Sterling, uh, people like that, other friends of mine, they've, they've pushed for the term parapolitics rather than conspiracy because of the uh, bad uh, connotations of uh, the word conspiracy. Absolutely, theory. yeah. yeah. Like the people who don't want to say UFO anymore and change it to something else. I, I don't have any problem with the UFO. Uh, you know what? It's it's funny. I've got all kinds of problems with people trying to change language around to make them either feel better or to soften the blow of something. But then I don't have any problem when something becomes a little bit more dis- descriptive. Like um, instead of saying skeptics or debunkers, I say fundamentalist skeptics because that to me – is because a skeptic is fine. I don't mind a skeptic. What I don't like is somebody who has their mind made up, which is a fundamentalist mindset, which is why I say fundamentalist skeptic. You'll notice that on UFO Mystic. Every time I, you know, I'm talking about skeptics, I say skeptics. Every time I'm talking about somebody that's had their mind made up and won't have it changed and doesn't look at the evidence, that's a fundamentalist skeptic. Yeah, exactly. And I guess just uh, just to wrap up the 2007 year interview, would you say good year or bad year for ufology? Um, you know, uh, like we said, we c- it kind of broke into the mainstream. 
a little bit more here in 2007 and held steady, as you pointed out. Um, so would you say good year or bad year, or it's going to take a while before we really look back and know? You know what? Holding steady is always good, <laughs> especially <laughs> the UFO thing, because that goes up and down and up and down. Holding steady is, you know, good for good for the good for a financial report, even you know, and and especially good for ufology. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 good in a sense that uh, that it held steady at the point where it broke through in in January. You know what I mean? Where it, it got some mainstream play, and then over the course of the year. Uh, a good UFO story or a big UFO story would get more mainstream play. So it held steady at the, at the point where uh, at least they talked about it, which is a change for the better. So, yeah, I guess it would be a good year for you, Paul. Yeah, and the disclosure from France and the disclo- you know, the, the release of files from France and from England coming up here. You know, that, that might be a tiny little push here at the beginning of this year. Yeah, so we'll see what, uh, we'll see what happens in 2008. Do you have any ideas uh, what we may see, or it's always a mixed bag and you never know what, what's going to come up around the horizon? Um, yeah, I, I have no idea what's going to happen. I hope, I hope it uh, continues to... Uh, interest people. Like I said, if there's any kind of giant political thing, like another terrorist attack, ufology, everything else in the toilet for another five years again. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, not the, because that's not going to be very important. It's much more important to find out if, uh, our, our, you know, our own lives are going to be threatened. That's a lot more important than making, you know, stupid, stupid talk about UFOs. Yeah. Yeah. And UFOs aren't killing anybody. They don't have an agenda. Yeah, so, you know, terrorist attack or if the war gets worse or spreads to another country or something right, like exactly. that. You'll see UFOs go completely off the map for a while again. Yeah. It took, took it like five or six years to come back after uh, 2001. Yeah, I'd say 2007 might have been the comeback year for ufology as far as the mainstream goes post-9-11. Is that yeah. fair estimate? Yeah, I mean, if the, the interest that was on in ufology before, at least in the public mind, is probably back to at least where it was before that. Maybe, maybe a little bit more, but, you know, that's the you know benefit of hindsight. Who knows? Yeah. All right. Now, I just got a couple other little points I wanted to talk to you about. And uh, the, sure. the one big thing I want to ask you about is uh, sort of breaks the fourth wall in a way. This is your post on Long John Neville from uh, UFO Mystic because I was completely fascinated by this piece. Um, I'm a huge fan. You of- were. <laughs> 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 well, you were kind enough to include me, actually, at the end, which I really appreciate. And, and uh, to, With a link. I know, with a link, with a hard link, which I really like, because then they can go right to my site, which I love. Um, <laughs> but I was really touched that you, that you included me in there, and I really appreciate that. And as a fan of, of, um, of UFO history and, and UFO media and UFO media history, it was just fascinating. I guess talk a little bit about who Long John Neville was for people who don't know anything about him. Um, we'll include a hard link to this article because it was fantastic. Uh, talk a little bit about Long John Neville and, and his role in shaping paranormal media. Sure. Um, as far as I know, I can't remember his actual real name. It was something, I think he had like a Jewish name. But he changed it to, to Long John because he, he, he was like six foot eight or something. He was this big tall guy. Yeah. The story of Long John is uh, is really interesting, it, uh, and it seems like he was, you know, destined to kind of be the person that that had the first real, actual all-night paranormal radio show ever um, that I know of, at least in the United States, because um, he was born in Chicago, I think, in the 1917 or something like that. 
uh, and he left he left home in the eighth grade to join the circus. <laughs> he asked his father. He said, "I would. Uh, I filled in for a clown today, and they let me. The, there was a clown that was sick, and he wanted to be a clown in the circus. So they let him do it, at least according to his uh, account." <laughs> And he said after that, he said it's showbiz and, and kind of the, or more, more appropriately, kind of the, uh, the uh, carnival man's patter selling things. He was really into selling. So he became a, you know, later he became a salesman after traveling with the circus for a while, for about a year, I guess, when he was in eighth grade. Um, he moved to New Jersey, I think, in the uh, early 50s, and he started an auction house called Long John's Auctions. And then, you know, he's up there selling stuff every day. Um, it was just along the side of the highway in, in New Jersey. And the way he got into radio was that um, he used to buy radio time on New York stations for his, for his auction house. And uh, one of the radio people, one of the producers, I think it was from WOR radio station, yep. came, uh, came out to one of his auctions one time and watched him up there selling stuff and said, God, this guy is a great personality. And he talked to him a little bit and found out he did have an interest in um, doing a radio show about uh, about weird people, basically, not really about the paranormal specifically, but just about the occult and uh, even conspiracy, as it was called at that. You know, it wasn't. I don't know what it was called at that time. Conspiracy yeah. theories. Um, and uh, they put him on the radio, and um, within. You know, a few months it became the most popular show on the station because they put they put him in the crappy time slot from like eleven at night to five in the morning. Yep, and it soon became the highest rated uh, show on the station. And in nineteen sixty two, he was lured away by a hundred thousand dollar a year offer from a rival radio station off of WOR, and then he continued at that station for a while, and he he ended his career in nineteen seventy seven. Um, about three months before he he died, he actually finally retired. Larry King took over his slot. Yeah, and then the Larry King slot eventually kind of melded. Uh, he Larry King left, and then that just turned into Coast to Coast kind of for that time slot. Um, I guess so. I don't know when Coast to Coast first came on. I thought it was in the early '90s. Yeah, my impression was that when Larry King left late night, uh, then then sort of after a brief period, I don't know if anyone really sort of filled the void as who was the late night king, if you will, of radio. But then Coast to Coast kind of slipped into the thing with Art Bell. Yeah, but uh, Neville had people, you know, these classic UFO stories and personalities and all that we only you know read about and hear about. If you can find recordings, I've got recordings of um, probably about. I don't know, 20 or 30 of his shows. And there's people on there like Gray Barker. Jim Mosley was on as a, as a panelist. He'd have this group of people called a panel. And um, the show was actually called The Party Line because he'd, he'd have like, you know, four or five people there and two or three people on the phone talking. Yeah. Like you said, it wasn't necessarily like a paranormal bent, but it was open to those kind of ideas and stuff and had those kind of guests on, right? Right. I mean, he'd, he'd have um, he'd have a, a, a fortune teller, whatever, a, a psychic on. And then the next night he'd have, you know, Orfeo Angelucci on or, 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 or Georgia Damsky or something like that. He had these people on multiple times. Or Gray Barker, or you know uh, uh, Al Bender, or something like that. All these classical figures from ufology, or you know somebody from the military talking about their their viewpoint of the UFO subject. Um, or they'd have a ghost hunter on, and they talk about ghosts for that night. Another one of the panelists that was on there for a long time, believe it or not, was James Randi. Oh wow! What he was 
simply a magician and not a uh, not not the uh, the, the uh, podium pounding skeptic that we knew that we know from later. I mean, excuse me, podium pounding fundamentalist skeptic that we know from later. <laughs> there you go. Um, now, what about this story here with Jackie Gleason? Uh, he was buddies with Long John Neville, and, and uh, you hear a lot about Jackie Gleason and the Nixon UFO story, but I had never heard this other story that you shared in the article uh, with regards to Neville's radio show. Well, Gleason, as everybody knows, was heavily interested in the UFO subject. But the thing was, he was, he was deathly serious about it, you know. I want the facts and that's it. I don't want any. I don't want any bull, bullshit on, on you know about UFOs. So if anybody came on who he thought was, uh, and if he happened to be listening, or in the studio, he'd he'd give him crap about it. And I've got actual. I've got a recording of him. Um, you know, if Gray Barker was a woman, he would have been reduced to tears. I mean, I know Gray Barker was gay, but um, <laughs> he just he keeps hammering at him because Barker had said uh, something. He had half jokingly said, "Oh, you know, um, there's a saucer coming that's going to pick us up, and you, you, you know, Jackie and and you, John, are invited to take take off with us in the flying saucer." You know, and Gleason said, "How can you say something so you know stupid and you know, you know." Uh, how, how, you know, how can you take this so lightly and, and joke with us? And Barker was saying, you know, you know, he says everything but, everything but, look, it was a big joke, dude. Don't take it so goddamn seriously. Yeah. Because I was just playing with you in the midst of talking about a bunch of other stuff. And Gleason was saying, well, how can you come out and say something like that? Publish books and be a school teacher, as you say you have been, and run a business like you do. He, he was, uh, Barker's business was uh, booking uh, uh, films to different drive-ins, I think. Um, how can you do all this and, and then, you know, and say, and be such a serious individual and then say something stupid like you're going to take us on a flying saucer? And, you know, Barker again, he was like, well, I was just, you know, I was just saying something silly. Maybe if it happened, that'd be great. I didn't think it was going to happen. Um, uh, somebody thought they were going to take us on a ride in a flying saucer. You know, obviously it didn't happen. And you know, Gleason just—he—he he, he won't give up. It's like it's like a, a bulldog holding on. It's like you know, it was a joke. It was a half-serious joke. We didn't think it was going to happen. We thought it was funny to mention. Why are you taking this so seriously, Mr. Gleason? Like, yeah. And he won't. He just won't let it go. Weird. It's it's really funny to hear too. I mean, he was Gleason was probably there at home drinking a scotch and you know having you know trying to tear tear Barker a new asshole. But it it it, it to me it looks it, it's it's a uh, poor reflection on Gleason and 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 uh, and um, uh, reinforces everything I always thought about Barker, which was he didn't really believe too much, but he had a, had a lot of fun with the subject and deep down really wanted to find out what was going on, even though he thought he probably never would. Yeah, that's a, that's a that sounds like the attitude of most of the people that I know and respect in the UFO field, too, actually. Um, yeah, exactly. So, you know, and uh, that was just one aspect of that show, and, and I'm sure just one aspect of Gleason, because that's the only recording I have of him on the show that I'm aware of. I think uh, Wendy Connors, who does that Faded Discs thing, has a bunch of different uh, Long John Neville recordings. There's one recording available. I think I put the link up at archive.org. Yeah. 
of uh, George Van Tassel on uh, Long John Neville's show. And so if you want to listen to exactly what he, he used to sound like, his opening theme, what the show was like, what the format was like, you can go there immediately to archive.org and just type in Long John Neville and you'll get it. Nice. I'll dig up a link and have it posted. Uh, yeah, or you can go to my article because there's a link on that one too. Okay, nice. Well, I'll have a link for that for sure. What about the, uh, the only other part of the Long John Neville story I want to ask you about was this whole thing with Candy Jones, which is bizarre. Um, talk a little bit about the story of Candy Jones, her relationship with uh, with Long John Neville, and, and the strange uh, CIA mind control element to that whole thing. Yeah, I hope Adam Gorelli isn't listening to this because he probably knows far more about it than I do. Because I read the book like 10 years ago. I still have it. It's called The Control of Candy Jones. Mm-hmm. Candy Jones was a uh, model and a pinup girl from World War II. Um, and uh, in the 1960s, she was uh, heading a modeling agency because she was too old to model anymore, obviously. Um, and in the in the mid-70s, she met Long John in the course of uh, something to do with the show, or maybe she was doing advertising on the station, I'm not sure, and they got married. I think they were, like, they met each other, and they were married, like, a month later. And, you know, Long John was in his 60s, and she was in her 40s, I think. But um, in the uh, in the book... Uh, by Donald Bain, uh, Long John started to notice that uh, she was having these strange mood swings, like more than normal for, for uh, uh, I, I guess, a woman at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, she wasn't pregnant or anything, and she, I guess she was probably postmenopausal at that point or close to it. But she was, you know, she, she seemed like she would drop into another personality every once in a while. It was completely different from her, you know, nice, sweet personality that everybody knew her for. Yeah. He wanted to find out what the hell this was, and um, so I'm not sure if she started seeing a psychologist or Long John started um, uh, putting her in a hypnotic trance, but um, in the course of these hypnosis sessions, and even a little bit before it, it sounds like a UFO, you know, like an abduction thing, there's like some things remembered, um, some things conscious, not all of it's there, they they seem to uncover a uh, a uh, scenario where she had been approached by somebody in the U.S. military and asked if she would like to do um, some work for the government, and she said okay. And so what it started out was was like you know delivering. She used to do USO shows um, in Korea. Okay. So she started delivering messages to various places during her USO things, and then it became more sinister. Um, Apparently, she was sent to see some sort of psychologist in Oakland. I can't remember the psychologist's name. It's in the article. And uh, he started hypnotizing her and um, turning her into kind of a sleeper agent where she would take on a completely different personality. She would put on a wig, and she would go to these other countries. You know, she would be sent off on these uh, missions to other countries, and apparently she was captured a couple times and tortured before being let go. And You know, very strange you know, bizarre kind of stories, you know, yeah. spy stories. But Jones and Neville and uh, their psychologist um, all seem to think that this actually happened. Um, and uh, it made uh, Neville a lot more interested in, you know, conspiracy, mind control, stuff like that. And that kind of stuff creeped into his show as, uh, as a subject a lot more in the last uh, two or three years of his uh, – when he was on, on the air because, because of this uh, – uh, episode with his wife, and um, 
I guess I think he published. I said this in the article. He publicly said he wanted to he wanted to go and kill the, the psychologist in Oakland there that had, had made her do all this stuff. And uh, there's been a lot of con- what I didn't say in the article. There's been a lot of controversy about whether this really happened, whether this psychologist actually existed, etc. Yeah, has anything really ever since the publication of the book has anything really come out about all that? Has it been followed up much, or is it sort of just like one of those lost stories? If I knew, I, I, I've forgotten about it. Um, all I know is there was some controversy as to whether that person ever actually existed and this stuff happened, which makes you wonder where, where she came up with all this stuff in the first place. Because I think somebody found that there there was that, now that I think of it, that, that psychologist did exist, and he was in practice in Oakland, and he was did have a CIA contract. Um, and the other part of it is there were people at the modeling agency saying that, that she would go off on trips and wouldn't tell anybody what she was doing and would disappear for days and weeks at a time. Yeah, so there's some... And she would never explain it. And since she was the boss, they, they couldn't really, you know, give her any shit about it because she was the boss. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's a little objective evidence that there was something strange going on. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the king of late-night late paranormal, you know, talk radio suddenly has this thing thrust right in the middle of his life. Yeah, it's really strange in that sense, too, because, like, uh, you know, he's already mixed up in the paranormal world, and then this whole weird paranormal element sort of gravitates toward him. It's a synchronicity element. It's just strange, unless unless there was something in the whole in, in the whole ether there of her of her mind control that that uh, facilitated that connection. Maybe so. You know, maybe, maybe maybe that's where they attracted each other for reasons they both did not were not aware of. Yeah, like I said, we'll, we're going to have a link on there uh, on the page. It's definitely a fascinating article, and big thanks to you, of course, for for linking to me and mentioning me at the end. I appreciate it. Well, you do paranormal radio stuff. I do it, you know, kind of as uh, when I can and when I feel like it. And I've got you know kind of these heroes of of radio, and one of them's Long John Nibble. And the funny thing was, I had to mention Gene Shepard on the same thing because he used to be on the same station he's another radio hero of mine nice yeah and and uh like i said it's great because uh not too many people even know the story of long john neville they kind of think art bell started the whole paranormal radio uh scene and that's not the case at all so i'm, I'm sure i've you know i've never had a chance to talk to art bell off the record or anything like that but i'd be interesting to find out what he thinks of neville and i'm sure he was aware of him and if he you know it affected the way that he did his shows because um neville was very his, the um, the illustration I have of him at the top of the post, it said, um, I think, yeah, I put down his, his trademark phrase was, I don't buy the gaff. Yeah. Which meant he didn't believe anything, almost anything that came on the show. He didn't believe in aliens. He didn't believe in psychic stuff. He thought it was, um, you know, mostly, if not all, uh, uh, smoke and mirrors. Um, and I don't think uh, Bell is exactly that way. I, I think he does have he does take stock, and or did when he was on the air take stock, at least some stock in some of the things that he talked about on his show. Oh, definitely, yeah, definitely. I think uh, the UFO sighting he had probably had a lot to do with that sort of situation. Yeah, as well. and also I I think they're you know both of them, um, Neville and uh, Bell were really good at pulling stories out of people and letting people talk and directing the conversation so that it was interesting to the listener, whether they believe the person or not. And that, that's a good radio person. Absolutely, definitely. That's kind of that's how I try to pattern myself. So exactly. I'm on and the you, right track. Great job. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> well, you let me talk. You let me ramble. I know. Look at all the good stuff we've got. Yeah, I'm kind of scared about some of the stuff I've said. Look what you did. Oh, no. <laughs>
I get uh yeah, I only have like one more big question here, and that's uh sure. I was talking with Nick. Uh, it's been kind of one of my little sort of pet interests in the last six months, eight months, or whatever, and that's sort of these lost stories of the esoteric world, how some stories become huge and then flame out. I'm thinking about uh, like the Bermuda Triangle, spontaneous human combustion. These things were huge, and now they're like barely a blip on the esoteric map. Why do you think some of these stories were so big and then they died out and, and uh, you know, sometimes they make a comeback but barely ever, and it seems like some of these stories have had their 50 minutes of fame and aren't big anymore, especially Bermuda Triangle. Like, that used to be a staple of paranormal world, and now it's, like, barely mentioned. Yeah, it's, be, it's because just what you said, nothing new happens. Yeah. People delve into these things as much as they can. If there's nothing new about it that can be dug out of the story, then, you know, that that's the end of the story. The only time something comes back is if there's a new wrinkle or twist or, you know, what if, what if you know, suddenly a passenger liner disappeared in the Bermuda, Bermuda Triangle? Yeah, it'd be a big story again. Yeah. So we just have to wait for things to change, come around, that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's kind of kind of point of view, too. There's There's been a lot of uh, skeptical things about the Bermuda Triangle, and so, you know, as soon as somebody finds there's a some scientist or somebody who says that they're smart saying they've solved something, that kind of kills something, too, whether they've solved it or not. Yeah. If they do a good PR campaign and say they've solved it, then they've solved it, you see. Yeah. And then the sort of follow-up question is, uh, like, do you have a favorite story like that that, that kind of no one talks about anymore or a mystery like that? And, and uh, what kind of thing do you think has fallen off the radar that you think uh, is cool that people should talk about? Something that's fallen off the radar that's a that's a story. I, I'm not so sure if I have a favorite. A subject. I that's think, what I mean. Yeah. That's fallen off the radar is um, uh, altered states of mind and and the paranormal. Nobody really talks about that too much because of the stigma attached to um, drugs and things like that. People tend to shy away from that. Um, and that's, you know, that's, to me, that's cultural blinders because, you know, a hundred years ago, all these things, all these psychedelics and all that that were being used by um, different cultures were not illegal because nobody knew to make them illegal yet. Yeah. And the um, the stigma attached to it has been just from our culture. The, the thing I keep wanting to bring up, and Nick brings this up too, is that uh, book, The DMT, The Spirit Molecule by um, Rick Strassman. Okay, yeah. Yeah, there's there's been other books more recently. Yeah, like Pinchbeck and a couple other people. Um, I think Jim DeCorn has written on this too. But um, there's uh, uh, especially in that book. Um, what's funny is that well, I have to give you a little bit of background quickly. It was that uh, uh, Strassman was uh, given a. Uh, permission by the DEA to do a study with dimethyltryptamine, which is a very powerful um, psychedelic drug, mm -hmm. by injecting it into people and then having them lie on a table in, in a kind of a medical setting and describe what was going on. Yeah. It's it's a very powerful – the thing is it goes in your bloodstream and it's it, like within probably 10 seconds hits your brain and you're you're out. You're, you're, you're not in this reality anymore. Yeah. But um, – he said that he almost hated to admit it, and it really started to bother him, that a lot of people, a sizable you know, amount of the test subjects, like 30% of them, were describing things that sounded like alien encounters. Oh, wow. 
that sounded like um, that sounded like abductions, without the being dragged out of the bed and taking it somewhere. Yeah. I mean, they're immediately there. Weird. And they said that there were these entities there looking at them, some of them, you know. And the thing was that not all of them had, you know, there were a few of them looked like they had the big heads and all that. But a lot of them looked like insects. And a lot of them didn't really look like anything. They just looked like, you know, knots of energy or whatever. But they described a lot of the same things that abductees describe um, while under the influence of this thing. So, what you know, what does that tell you? Interesting, yeah. So you'd like to see more of that uh, discussed and, and, and hopefully more more uh, research into that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, a lot, because of the stigma, it's like, well, the person was on drugs. Yeah. Like, you know, that that's that's not the, you know, that's a completely Neanderthal attitude to me. Okay, and what about uh, what about your interest in the contact e-movement? I notice you have a really uh, vivid interest in that. Is that something you'd like to explore more, maybe uh Put out like a book or something like that, or I want to put out a book on it, but nobody wants to publish it. Oh man! <laughs> you know what Nick suggested is that I, I um, do a book on um, flying saucer uh, themed and alien themed music, since I've been posting so much of that on the site. But the the reason I'm I, I don't know. People say, "What are you interested in contactees for?" I I hmm. Probably the reason I'm interested in it, the main reason is, is that most ufologists kind of push it to the back or actively despise it. Yeah. Well, that makes me very interested. And the reason it makes me interested is because I think at least some of these people were pretty sincere about what they were saying. Yeah. Um, I don't know what happened to them, but I think at least a few of them had some sort of experience with something that they couldn't explain so that, you know, this... This um, mold or model was available to, to them to put their experience into context. And um, instead of saying, you know, I was taken aboard a craft and examined or whatever, you know, or um, I just saw something going across the sky or whatever, um, something affected them to the point where they had to say something. And the model that was available was, you know, friendly people from outer space telling us not to hurt each other or, or you know, drop bombs on each other and, uh, you know, eat better and all this. And any message to tell people to quit fighting with each other and to treat each other better is fine by me. Absolutely. Now, do you think what, – what do you think uh, precipitated the change in – in society, I guess you could say, between uh, went from contactees to abductees, uh, you know, with the Betty Bonnie Hill case kind of changed the whole paradigm. Why do you think that changed so much? Because it seems like quite a drastic change from, you know, people were having contact with extraterrestrials and they were, you know, exchanging messages and stuff to all of a sudden we were kind of like the cattle and they were just taking people and, and it wasn't as wasn't as back and forth as, as it had been before. I'm not sure what changed that. Um... I think that the the public exposure of the Betty and Barney Hill thing, yeah, that was what changed it. Um, that you know the uh, the the perception of the public mind of what whatever aliens are was changed by that by that event and having that book written about. There, you know, maybe there were you know twenty, thirty, eighty thousand other people had the same experience, but the Hills decided to go talk about it and then said it was okay that this guy write a book about it. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, like, the it wasn't so much that the events were changing, but how they were being described was? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that 
you know, it's, it's well documented the way you look at things and the way you perceive things and the way you expect things is the way that they're going to be. And I think that was kind of a, um, it was a cultural shift rather than a, the aliens have decided to do this now. Yeah. Like, we're going to look at this part of it now, so that's what we're going to concentrate on, and that's all we're going to see. And that that has dominated the, the cultural landscape since, when did the book come out, 66? 66, because the abduction happened in 61, I think. Do you think there'll be a contactee turnaround where we'll see that kind of thing shift back around to the other way, or it'll be kind of, we'll see some kind of amalgamation of the two or, or a whole new... New. I think we are seeing some kind of amalgamation of the two with some of the exopolitics people. What do you mean by that? Um, Michael Sala, for instance, I think he's he's kind of the propo proponent of the kind of love and light alien thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, I see what uh, he's, so. worked that, he's worked that into a philosophy where, you know, if we acknowledge this on a, a greater level, it could be better for us, you know, in, in the long run because it's um, – it's a. It shows us where we should be spiritually and how we should treat each other, etc. Which is, you know, that's a contactee message. Yeah, exactly. All right. Yeah, I see what you're saying. The only other question I have is sort of like a just sort of a follow-up question to our many interviews we've done already, and that's the Bill Moore Mufon speech. Last <laughs> I, last I heard, I'm going to keep asking you about this till we till we can get you on the show and play it. <laughs> Any news on uh, on the Bill Moore Mufon speech? I heard uh, last time we had talked. I think that. You would talk to someone who had a copy of it, but it hadn't surfaced yet. Any 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 movement on that? No, I haven't been able to get back in touch with them yet. Um, I think MUFON officially has one, but they're not going to release it. Oh, man. You know what? I'm not sure. I think if, if, if there is a recording, it's the property of MUFON. So that, that, that event was a MUFON event. So I'm not sure if anybody would be allowed to just, you know, start I, I guess you could do it for free, but they might want to exploit it. Yeah, well, we, I'm going to have to contact MUFON and find out what the story is, because I want to hear this thing so bad. That's that's really all I got. <laughs> well, the first person I talked to said he had a videotape of it. That's what we really want, because then we can see some, you know, some crazy reactions and stuff. Yeah, and he's out in the southwest here somewhere. Um, I see him occasionally, and uh, I've got his number. He said he was going to look for it, and last I, I talked to him, he said, oh, I couldn't find it where I thought it was. I'll keep looking, which means he'll look for it the next time I bug him. Yeah, yeah. And I'd be a lot more interested to see a videotape of it because, well, the thing is, you probably only see Bill Moore talking. Yeah. Either. And the thing is, you know, he, Moore wasn't, you know, waving his hands and raving or anything like that. He was very kind of measured throughout the thing. He would, you know didn't uh, bang on the table or anything like that. But the, the thing was, you know, he had to keep stopping because people were yelling. And I was sitting in the audience, and it was, it was, it was pretty exciting. I yeah. Leaving and crying and everything. Yeah, so that's why the audio would be kind of neat, because then you can maybe hear the people yelling and stuff. It would be kind of cool to hear. It would be like, Dylan goes electric. Yeah. <laughs> Where'd um, you get that crap from, Bill? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it. What's uh, We talked about 2007, we talked about 2008, but we really want to know about 2008 for Greg Bishop. What's coming up for you in the horizon? Anything exciting you have planned? Any speaking engagements? Uh, hopefully you'll be back for the baseball special uh, in a couple months here on BOA Audio. But what else Most do you have? Most definitely. I already bought my tickets for this next season, 25 games. Nice, nice. What's going on for you uh, in the upcoming year? Anything big planned? Well, there's the Roswell thing. Um, uh, you know about uh, Paul Kimball wanting to move um, Red Star Films out to Hollywood. I've heard all about it. Yeah, so he's going to – and I told him I'd help him out with that. Um, 
So he made, I guess he made me a producer officer or something like that for on Red Star. Nice. Um, so he's going to come out here at the end of February and uh, start laying the groundwork for that. And with his legal background, I think it'll be a little bit easier for him. And uh, then sometime in October, he says he's going to be out here permanently. So I want to start working with him to produce the kind of UFO documentaries that I want to see, not the ones where you see, you know, 40 more reports of, you know, of lights flying through the sky and police chasing them or another person being hypnotized and, and uh, going through this horrible stuff on camera for everybody to see. Yeah. That kind of new ufology stuff that we were, we've were we been talking about all the way through this show, I want to, uh, and I think Paul does, wants to start presenting things in a different way for, you know, to kind of tell people that there's a lot more ufology than they've been seeing on TV for the last, you know, 20 or 30 years. Nice, exciting. So you're going to be in the creative element to the whole thing, which should be fun, right? Yeah, that's something I'm really looking forward to. And then I'm continuing to, of course, to do UFO Mystic every, every uh, at least four days a week. Uh, between Nick and I, there's something up every day practically. Yeah. Yeah, and then continue to try and sell some, uh, sell another book. And um, at this point, I don't know how, how well UFO books are. It's really hard for me to to start writing a book when somebody says, well, we're not going to pay you and there's no real due date. It's like, well, what motivation is for me to do anything? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's hard. So as soon as I get somebody to say yes on any number of like 15 or 20 book proposals I've been sending around, then um, I'll be doing that. And it may be a UFO book and it might not. I don't know. Hey, yeah. Do, do what you want to do. You know, don't get stuck in the UFO realm. No, well, I really don't want to be stuck in the UFO realm because it's really pigeonholed. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, it'd be fun to do a UFO book, but it'd also be fun to do a book on something else. I had a lot of fun doing Weird California, and that was, you know, that was a paranormal-type book. Nice, nice. All right, yeah, well, hopefully uh, hopefully, I can I can weasel my way into some Kimball projects and stuff. Maybe you guys can finally get around to uh, help me make my reality show a reality. Oh, well, yeah, definitely. Of course. We nice. have to change everything. We have to, we have to move <laughs> forward and change things because it, um, it needs to be, as we've talked about for the last couple hours here. Definitely, definitely, yeah. Well, I'm hoping to someday take over the... Uh, the basic cable paranormal realm with my own show, so hopefully we can get that going someday. <laughs> I'm there. Nice, nice. Well, Greg, i got to thank you so much. I'm sure the listeners are just going to go uh, bash it when they hear all this awesome material that we've had here on the show. As you said, there's always something new at UFO Mystic. It's an outstanding website. If uh, if people aren't reading UFO Mystic, they're missing out on just great pieces uh, day in and day out. Uh, occasionally, we have um, guest columns on. Brad Steiger's done a couple. My friend Ken Thomas has done one. And I'm looking to have people do more. Maybe you could do one. Yeah, I definitely do one. I would be totally down with that. Yeah, definitely. Okay, write, write one and send it to me. Oh, awesome. Yikes, I'm already... <laughs> nice. See, that's what we're talking about. You get a deadline on it, and then you can get going on it. But yeah, I, like I said... I can't... next week, there. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Uh, you were one of the first people to be on the show, and back when, you know, we really had to beg and scream and, and, and try and get get people to come on the show, and, and you were one of the first people who was just like, yeah, I'll do an interview, sure. So I really appreciate that. You helped us get established and, uh, you know, be a video. First. I'm not sure. What's that? I think I might have been the first. Yeah, well, we had worked out the interview back uh, when I had was just scheduling the very first people for season one. So 
Yeah, we were like within the. Yeah, I think you were like one of the first five people I ever interviewed. So I really hugely appreciate that and all the great time we've had talking. And and your perspective on the UFO field is awesome. We need more people like you who don't have a, a dog in the fight, if you will. You aren't married to uh, one side or the other and is willing to change things and look at it from a different perspective. So I appreciate that. And um, way to go with the UFO stuff. Absolutely, you got to. Um, and uh, we'll be talking again in a couple months here for the baseball special. So uh, I guess we'll just wrap it up at that. And, and thanks again for coming on the show. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Tim. It's one of the most fun interview uh, formats I'm on for any show because people get to say whatever they want. <laughs> <laughs> nice, exactly. Or say things like batshit. <laughs> <laughs> that does it for this week's edition of BOA Audio Season 3. Big, big, super huge thanks to Greg Bishop for coming back on the show and giving us so much time. You can find out more information on Greg Bishop at the following websites, www.ufomystic.com and www.excludedmiddle.com. Don't forget to check out his internet esoteric show, Radio Mysterioso, which can be heard on Sundays from 8 to 10 p.m. Pacific Time at www.killradio.org. So there you go. Check out those sites. Check out Greg's podcast show, Radio Mysterioso, and get to know Greg Bishop. Before we dive into BOA Audio listener feedback, let me give you a couple teasers on stuff that's coming up on the horizon from Banal of America. For starters, we got a little something called BOA Audio After Hours. This is going to be featuring some of the folks you've heard about here in the close of the program. I've gotten tons of emails over the years from people that want to hear from the BOA staff and I want to give them a little special treatment, so we're going to have something called BOA Audio After Hours, sort of a little bite-sized mini-interviews, something that will be at the end of the programs and as a standalone sort of spin-off series. I'm looking at getting BOA Audio After Hours up and running, hopefully by the end of February, and you'll be able to hear from some of these great folks that I've been thanking week in and week out at the end of the program. Also, we've got another big project that I'm working on, BOA DC. There's not too much I can say about that, except that we'll be breaking new ground. It'll be a whole new sort of medium for BOA, and we're going to be potentially reaching a massive audience of folks who probably haven't heard of BOA just yet, but they're going to hear about it via BOA DC. I can't say too much more about that because I'm hard at work sort of wrapping up the final details of it, but I expect that BOA DC will also hit the streets around the end of this month. So you got a couple of big things to look forward to, BOA Audio After Hours and BOA DC, two big projects from Banal of America that we've been working on here as 2008 began that we expect to see blossom, hopefully, by the end of February, beginning of March. So stay tuned for those. Now we move along to BOA Audio listener feedback. we got a huge stack of letters here that have accumulated over the hiatus, so let's just dive into this week's letter. It comes from Joe. No hometown listed, just Joe. And here's what he has to say. Mr. B, I enjoy your site, especially your archive of MP3s. I enjoyed my first download tonight. It was Jim Mars, and I have read his book, Alien Agenda. It is the best one so far. I would like to recommend a good interview for you in the future. The man's name is Art Greenfield, and he is the author of Warning. This book is pretty good. I don't know if you've read it, but it is really scary. I'm in one of Art's Yahoo ET groups, and he is very articulate and sharp. He says that reptilian aliens come here every so often and collect dead human bodies and stock up their motherships with them, that they instigate wars and disease here on Earth. Interesting stuff, huh? 
yeah. Anyway, thanks for the access to the MP3s. They are great. Yours truly, Joe. Well, there you go. Thank you very much for writing in, Joe. I appreciate your feedback and your props on the archive of MP3s. Don't forget, folks, those MP3s are there at benallofamerica.com. Tons of episodes, probably over 70 at this point, so definitely worth checking them out. Thank you so much for the guest suggestion, Joe. This Art Greenfield sounds like quite a character. I'm going to have to look into his book, Warning, and I'm definitely going to see about possibly having him on the show. The reptilian alien story is one we haven't really even scratched the surface on here on the program, but it's one that I find fascinating and frightening, and whether it's true or not, definitely interesting and worthy of exploration. So I'll definitely check out Art's book, and if I dig it, we'll have him on the program at some point in the future, provided, of course, I can get a hold of him and we can get the schedules worked out and all that good stuff. Thanks again for writing in, Joe. Stay tuned, and I hope you dig the new episodes here we're rolling out for 2008. If you would like to be a part of BOA Audio listener feedback, here's the two ways to go about doing it. Either A, write to boaaudio at hotmail.com, or simply go to banalofamerica.com, click the contact button on the left-hand side of the screen. That'll put you on the contact page with all the pertinent information on getting in touch with me. Either one of those methods will put your correspondence in the ever-growing pile of BOA Audio listener feedback letters to be read and responded to on a future edition of BOA Audio. Up next, of course, is the thanks. i got to give extra special thanks this week here for the great BOA staff, Leslie, Chiron, Arlie, Joe V, Tina Senna, and our newest member, Rochelle Hawks. During the hiatus, the vast majority of the stuff at the website was courtesy of the outstanding BOA staff. They carried Banal of America throughout January, much as they did throughout the summer when the audio series was off the air. I can't thank them enough. They are the heart and soul of this website. They are the fuel that makes the machine run. And as I said, they carried the website on their back throughout January. So I can't give them enough props for all their help and support with the website and the audio series. If you haven't checked out the columns app in allofamerica.com, you're seriously missing out. These are some top-notch reading material and great insight on a wide variety of esoteric topics. As we like to say here on the program, week in and week out, if you're just listening to BOA Audio and you're not reading the columns at allofamerica.com, you're only getting half the story. Check out BOA, check out the columns, and find out why so many people are making BenAllOfAmerica.com a part of their everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. I know what you're saying right now. You're saying, Tim, I love this show and I want to help out, but how can I do that? Here's the answer, my friend. There's two ways to help us out. The first method is pretty simple. You go to BenAllOfAmerica.com, click the PayPal button, and make a donation via PayPal. No donation is too small, and all donations go towards helping keep BOA Audio and America up and running and freely available to all of our great listeners the world over. The other method is also pretty simple. You go to the website, you click the merchandise button, you'll see it is flashing with the cool BOA line of merchandise. Click that, buy some merchandise, we get some money back from that from the Cafe Press folks, and that money goes into the till for BOA. We only got one little thing left to do here, and that's of course preview next week's program. Next week on the show, we're going to delve into the ghost genre for the very first time here on BOA Audio with our guest, Larry Flaxman. 
founder of the Arkansas Paranormal and Anomalous Studies Team, known as RPAST. We're going to be discussing the ins, the outs, the creation, the evolution, and the research methods of the RPAST group. We're going to get Larry's critical thoughts on some of the staples of ghost hunting, like EMF meters, EVPs, and orbs. His thoughts, trust me folks, are going to really surprise some of you what he has to say about some of these big pillars of the ghost hunting community. It's a tremendously enlightening take. Plus, we're going to have a ton of big picture discussion on the ghost hunting field, its explosion in popularity, and the pluses and minuses of the rapid growth of that esoteric genre. It's definitely a new area of coverage for BOA Audio, but we managed to retain our same flavor for in-depth esoteric discussion. That's next week, Larry Flaxman, founder and president of the Arkansas Paranormal and Anomalous Studies team. Tremendous stuff. Very good interview. I'm looking forward to hearing the feedback on this one. We've had many people request sort of us getting into the ghost realm, so we're finally going to do it here next week on the program. Stay tuned to BOA for a little more in-depth preview of that and, of course, teasers for future episodes of the program. We're going to be doing a few more ghost episodes in this cycle and... In the not-too-distant future, a major, major international ufology episode with a guest who will be giving his first-ever American interview on BOA Audio. We're going to establish a beachhead on a whole new continent that we've never even touched on here on the program before, but we're going to do it in a couple of weeks here on the show. Stay tuned to the program and the website for information on that. Of course, as I said, next week, Larry Flaxman of Our Past talking about ghost research. And on that note, we're going to wrap it up so I can finish up putting the episode here together and get it online for you and hopefully uh, break our streak here of late episodes being posted. I'm very excited to be back, and I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on these episodes of BOA Audio that we've taped in January. Thank you so much, folks, for listening. Thank you so much for being patient with us and waiting for the return of the program. Thank you for your tremendous support and loyalty This program would be nothing without our great listeners. Trust me, I know that, and I appreciate you all from the bottom of my heart. Until you hear from me next week, this is Tim Benall, thanking you for listening, and signing off.